Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a special interview episode of the Prime 5 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Cam Russell, a StudentWorks painting alumni and founder of Above Men, a program focused on peak performance for entrepreneurial men. We discuss a wide variety of topics, including the difference between mature and immature masculinity, mindset, focus, fasting, energy, sleep, addictions, and more. I learned a tremendous amount from this interview, and we hope that you do too. Cam is a wealth of information regarding making healthier choices and gives away a ton of value on this episode absolutely free. If you want to get in touch with Cam, you can check him out on Facebook at Above Men Peak Performance for Entrepreneurial Men or on Instagram at Cam Russell. As always, if you get some value from this show, remember to like, follow, and share with your friends so they can benefit too. Enjoy. You do everything for a reason, right? For a purpose. If you have a reason or a purpose behind everything, you'll actually like do it. How you do one thing is how you do everything. But here's the thing like with partying is that there's an inherent risk to it that I don't think a lot of people are considering when they go out and do it. You shouldn't really try to assign a good or a bad to things. And just everything that happens, you're like question it and just continue on without like trying to tie some kind of belief or some kind of emotion to it. Just like the fact that like how fragile life actually is. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime 5 Podcast. Tonight, we are joined by a special guest, Cam Russell. Uh, Cam's the founder of Above Men. He's a health and energy coach, and his main mission is to help entrepreneurial men master their energy and just overall help men become men again. So thanks again for joining us, Cam. Uh, really nice to have you on. And yeah. Cheers, boys. Yeah, looking forward to it and having a good conversation here. Where should we begin? Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some of your history and how you uh, came to becoming the founder of Above Men? What uh, what drove you that way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can. De- it's one of those things where you could really take it back right, right to my childhood in the sense of um, there's this really good book called The Values Factor by Dr. John Martini, And in that book, he basically describes that in every previous chapter or in every current chapter, your biggest voids, biggest perceived voids become your biggest perceived values in your next chapter. So for me, I had a lot of perceived voids that led down the path of entrepreneurship. I had a lot of perceived dependence on my parents. I didn't like that. I wanted to be independent. You know, that that came with money, time, location. And then on top of that, like I really wanted to be uh, communicative. You know, I had a lisp when I was growing up. And one of those ways to like get your you know voice out there was to get into sales, right? Communication is sales, sales is communication. And so naturally, I kind of like found myself going down this path of entrepreneurship before I even knew what it was. Like in high school, I got into a ton of different things, buying and selling like merchandise. I even, you know, at one point, started making freaking vape juice out of my dad's basement before I even was in the, you know, the health health space and uh, tried a bunch of different multi-level marketing things. All of it failed until I stumbled across this really cool program um, after seeing a guy named Luke Fenn uh, go through this program called StudentWorks. And of course, many of you guys know that. And 
did that. That was my first quote unquote successful business and did that for a year. And then, you know, shortly after that, just went on my way with entrepreneurship, having that success. I didn't actually go back for a year, but, you know, along that, you know, it really showed me, okay, I can do this thing that's called entrepreneurship and I, I can go down this path. And so started there, then ended up out in BC doing some door-to-door sales for pest control, did that for a little bit, then stumbled across a marketing agency and this whole idea of like marketing and digital marketing and making money on the internet. And that space got really intriguing. And once I found that out, I'm like, well, okay, there's something here. And that's where I got stumbled across like, you know, the online tech space, software as a service. And that kind of led me to where I am today is going down that path of just like entrepreneurship and stumbling around doing this, doing that. Now, how I actually got into Above Men was a whole other story in the sense of same thing, going back to the values factor, right? My One of my biggest perceived voids was my health. I was constantly sick. I was constantly shy and I was a really, really skinny kid as a growing up all the way until the end of high school. So, you know, kids would not bully me, but, you know, my friends would jokingly make fun of my physique. And again, that, you know, just sits on your consciousness, especially as a young, impressionable boy. And so I really got fed up with that at one point, started going to the gym, you know, started figuring this out. And after nine years of going from 150 pounds shy, skinny, constantly sick, you know, this, this small little boy, you know, nine years later into who I am today, you know, I would consider myself very confident, very centered in who I am, right? My immune system has never been better and I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, And so in doing that, I, I picked up a ton of information along my entrepreneurship journey. And I came to a point where these two paths were kind of at a crossroads. You know, I was at a place with my entrepreneurship where I just was helping my buddies scale this agency, this video agency, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And there was kind of like a period in that where that was at a standstill. Do I continue? Do I not? And um, and so I really took a step back. I'm like, man, like, what do I want to, if I could do something for the rest of my life, what would it, what, what would it be? What would it be? And it's like, what's the one thing that I've stuck to longer than any, anything in my life? And it took me a bit, but you know, I came across it and it was my health. It was, that was the one thing that I constantly was, was showing up in. And so like, you know what, maybe I could actually make that work. I've never actually considered myself monetizing my health, being a personal trainer. Like, you know, I considered it very small amounts, but never really took it serious. And soon after that, you know, I, I put a plan in place and got my first client and, and away we go. But, you know, the, that's the general breeding grounds for how we got to where above men is. Um, there's a story in how it went from like me monetizing my health to how it actually became above men, which we can explore deeper, but that's a, a little bit in terms of the pathway and how I got here. That's awesome. I love the question of uh, what have I stuck with the longest? Cause I feel like more people should ask themselves that because a lot of people don't know really what they want to do, but even myself, I've never thought of the question of like, what have I actually consistently shown up with mm. and performed in kind of over the last 10, 15 years? 100%, man. And the, the interesting thing about that, again, goes back to the values factor by Dr. G, uh, Demartini. That's typically going to show up with what your highest values are, which is really interesting. You know, whatever your highest values are, if you can do those more consistently, you're going to just experience more flow and alignment in your life. And for me, that's that's been the case. Like as soon as I started above men 
my life instantly just flipped. You know, I had a, I had a good life. I was again running the agency with my two buddies at the time, right before I started making good money, living out here in Vancouver, BC, like beautiful place. But there was still friction internally, and there was still friction around me. And then as soon as I switched, and all of a sudden, all of my values, I could just show up in those every single day. My life's just like skyrocketed ever since. Um, so it's an interesting thing to answer that, and then to actually like go and do those things, like live into your values. So. Hmm. How long was the process for you to, you know, craft your, the above men program, like the, the kind of the initial concept you had had with that? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of ties into like, okay, so I decided to, okay, I'm going to monetize my health. Like, you know, become the, you know, first of all, it started as like, I'm going to become like an online coach or an online personal trainer. So it started as, Hey, what was my story? Right. My story was 150 pounds, Scott, shine skinny to 200 pounds, confident and shredded. Like that was my, my like transformation. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I can be one of those guys that helps guys put on muscle as a skinny guy. So that was my initial iteration. And I was like, you know what, this, this could be it, but it kind of felt a little empty and I didn't really know why, but as I started to think on it more, I was like, mm, I know more than just that. Like I've done much more because along my own journey, I didn't just go through nutrition and working out. I went through nutrition working out and training, sleep, mindfulness, uh, like daily protocol design, right? Detoxing, meditation. Like I went through all of those different stages because as an entrepreneur, you need more than just that if you want to show up. And that, at least that's kind of my path that I went down. And so I'm like, hmm, I have a bunch of entrepreneur friends. Maybe I can help entrepreneurs go from skinny to shredded. I was like, no, 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 that, that's not quite it. And then... I was like, maybe I can help entrepreneurs avoid burnout. I was like, okay, that's something. Because I was like in the tech space before my agency. And so I started to see and recognize, okay, there's a bunch of all these entrepreneurs and they're on the verge of burnout. Like, you know, they have no structure to their day. They're not eating right. They're constantly eating fast food. They're not moving the body. And so then that kind of stumbled onto the next iteration that I got closer to above them. We're like, I think that's, more impactful than just putting on some muscle, you know, like, it's like, whatever, right? Like, yeah, it's going to give you some confidence and you're going to look maybe better, but is, is it really going to change someone's life? Hmm. You know, maybe in certain cases, but then I stumbled across these two stats. Mind you, I'll, I'll get into this maybe later, but these two stats really made above men, above men. And like, okay, this is the path I'm going down. The first stat is men in North America, at least it's worse than other countries kill themselves four times more than women. And actually last year, 80% of all suicides were men. Okay. So that's stat number one. That's crazy. That's crazy. The second one is that since 1972, men's testosterone levels on average have dropped by 50%. Okay. Something in the world is attacking men. Basically. Again, you get, you hear the guys like Andrew Tate talking on it. Right. You hear a lot of individuals right now speaking on masculinity. Right. And on the flip side, you know, certain groups of women and certain just political groups like really pushing down men. So when I looked at that, I'm like, hmm, I think that's where I want to hang out. Like that's what's needed. And it fits my skill set. It fits what I've learned. And so when that when I understood that, I not only felt like it was right, I felt pulled to it. I felt like a, almost there was like a a duty 
that I just like received the calling for, you know? And it was like, oh shit, this, this is what I need to do. I don't know for how long, what that looks like, but I'm like, I need to do this. And I have a, a, an initial skill set that I can at least help some men. Um, so that gave the foundation. And then to actually like answer the question, I'm still freaking building it. Like we got above men one, two, and three, and I'm just on above men one, and I haven't even finished above men one. And we can go into what the three stages are, but uh, which is very exciting. So it's been, it's going to come up to a year since I like initially had the idea of like skinny to shredded. And then about nine months since I actually had the idea of above men. And now six months, maybe seven months now, full time. So it's pretty short in the, in the grand scheme of things, but lots of work to do. And uh, we're still in the we're still in the building process. So, yeah, I absolutely love what you said there with kind of trying to re restore masculinity because I feel like there's this concept nowadays of just like you know you hear it a lot toxic masculinity, um, but it's it's just destroying a lot of just important values I think that men have that you know it's it's just the it's just perspective thing. I definitely don't think it's toxic. It's like a you know there's traditional values for guy, for guys, but at the end of the day, like it's a reason that it's been around for so long. So. No, definitely yeah, yeah. there's a good differentiator that that needs to be made on this. Um, and I got this from a book, which I would highly recommend King Warrior Magician Lover. And in it, there's two things. There's immature masculinity and there's mature masculinity. And within those two, that's where the confusion of toxic masculinity comes into play. So what's really going on is we're being the world is being ran by immature masculinity or better, better better put boy psychology okay there's man psychology boy psychology so boy psychology is basically running the world right now there's too many men okay that haven't become men that are running the world or better yet there's too many boys that can shave okay there's too many man boys like however you want to spin it all right there's too many men in power right now that have not done the inner work to show up in their mature masculinity and and that's what's causing this toxic masculinity and that's what's causing this external um, kind of force backwards to men and pushing men into those suicides, into, you know, the in back into their home, back into their room and playing video games and watching porn, like all this stuff. Like it, it's this toxic masculinity, but really immature masculinity that has now like blanketed all masculinity and no one's making the differentiator. And everyone's like, all the men are just going with it like oh shit maybe i'm a shit guy maybe you know maybe and then suicide rates are increasing you know testosterone's going down because we're eating shitty food etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah it's really it's really quite alarming but at the same time i'm very confident that you know we can make a change on that and, and there is a path forward for sure what um because i know uh, oh sorry go ahead max oh just super quick i wanted to say because i know the the book, The Way of the Superior Man, um, mm -hmm. it seems to touch on a lot of the same concepts as uh, that, uh, what was it? The King Warrior, Warrior Magician, Magician Lover. Lover. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you think like it's worth reading both or is there one that you prefer over the other? 100%. Like that's so, those are literally like the two books I recommend to every single guy inside my program. Like you, you, you got to read both. I mean, King Warrior Magician Lover gives you a really good blueprint to the archetypes inside of a man's brain but the way the superior man is more of like a almost like a bible it's like a it's like a path forward it, yeah i would say bible is almost a better word because i constantly reference it like i just find myself when i'm on calls with men 
I'd be like, hey, go back to this section in Ways Superior Man. Re reread this. And they're just short snippets. Like they're not long chapters, but they're just super potent. And David, the author, did a phenomenal job distilling the knowledge in that book. Yeah, sick. Yeah, that book definitely changed my um my trajectory. I read that about two, two and a half years ago, and mm -hmm. it, it just slaps. It's a phenomenal book. It's, it's one of those books that I, I recommend every man read and keep reading. Like I, I constantly just will open it anytime I feel like myself waning as a man or like certain areas. I just like open that section up, reread it, study it, go back and implement. It's like as someone who hasn't read about that book, like what are some of the, you know, differences between like immature masculinity versus mature masculinity? Like what are some of the characteristics that you would identify mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that those those words come specifically from King Warrior, Magician Lover, and the whole idea of boy psychology, man psychology, I at least have learned whether they're in other books. And this is based off of like Carl Jung's philosophy. Um, I haven't got too much into him. He's definitely someone that I want to and I, I think, you know, every man should explore him at least. And uh, to answer that, immature masculinity is again, if you look at gangs if you look at politicians their behavior is signs of immature masculinity so not letting someone become better than you is a sign of immature masculinity like a perfect example is is a is um like a father or an employee or sorry an employer that won't let their son or or employee become better than them at anything so they'll constantly ridicule or um tamper with or you know bash talk them and make them believe that they aren't good enough or they can't do it because they're like i don't want my ego is saying i don't want them to be better than me because if they're better than me then i'm nothing right and so the immature masculinity is constantly trying to keep everyone below them and at the same time keep everything to themselves so you see this a lot right now with politicians right they're not wanting good for anyone Right. They're they're wanting everyone to like suffer for their sake. Right. And they, for their gain. Sorry. Um, and then on the flip side, mature masculinity is like very regenerative, very centered. OK. And uh, on the it's giving like you're, you're constantly in a place of giving with mature masculinity. You're willing to go above and beyond yourself. You're, you're willing to transcend yourself, put yourself aside for the betterment of your tribe, the world whatever that might look like. Those are the, the, the two biggest buckets. If you're to like, look at, okay, here's someone that's embodying or a man that's embodying like boy psychology and mature masculinity versus like mature masculinity, man psychology. It's like, they're willing to transcend themselves, go beyond themselves, put themselves aside where the boy psychology, mature masculinity is not. And they're willing to hurt everyone else for their gain. That's, that's probably the easiest way to look at those two. Then there's a bunch of other things in between, but those are the biggest ones. And, and another good way to actually like think about this is looking at when you're a boy, the one thing that's giving you that behavior is your mother. So look at how a mom treats a son. And then on the flip side, when you don't have a mother, how do you have to act, right? Like if you're completely independent versus if you have a mom, but if you have a mom, you're never like, you're never uh, taking with the intent of like giving your mom something back when you're a boy, right? She's constantly giving, 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 and you're not doing anything in return. And depending on the mom, like it becomes very toxic as a pattern, right? 
So that's where the, the boy psychology and the, the immature masculinity is built. And then if it's not transcended, if there's no father, strong father uh, figure to move the boy into manhood, he stays in that, that, that idea of like, hey, my mom's always there to give and I never have to take or I never have to give in return, right? So I'm never thinking about what the consequences of, of me giving or taking are. And so hence, I don't need to give anything. I don't need to think about anybody else. And if I don't get my way, what am I going to do? I'm going to cry. You know, I'm going to put on a tantrum, right? I'm going to get mad at everyone else because I'm not getting what I want. So if you think about it from that side of like, where is this being born from? Is being born from the mother. And right now what's going on is there's no fathers. Like in, in the Western world, like fathers are either at home, but not present or they're just not present at all. And so there's no man to turn that boy into a man right now. And it's getting worse and worse and it hasn't really turned around yet. But um, yeah, so answer that plus a little bit more because I think it's important to understand to really like look at those angles as to where it's coming from and then what is the differentiators of them. No, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I want to wanna... ask you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Brady. I'll say, I just want to add on to Cam's thing. What I love how you said about the, you caught me at that line saying, there's quote unquote fathers, but they're not present, right? So if you look at society, most fathers aren't like actually men. They're just a child in an adult body. Hmm. 100%. Yeah. That's what I said. Like there's too many, yeah. there's too many uh, uh, boys that can shave. Boy, right yeah, now. I love that. Boys that can shave. That's so <laughs> true, bro. Uh -huh. Yeah. I like that. Um, you mentioned how, you know, originally you started going to the gym a lot because, you know, you were a skinny kid and that's kind of, you didn't want to be like that anymore. It was purely physical appearance and kind of self-confidence mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I think that's super common. Like same thing. When I started working, you know, when I was 15, I was 110 pounds. Like I was just skin and bones and <laughs> decided, yeah, decided I didn't want that anymore. Yeah. So it's common for guys to do that or like, you know, first girlfriend break up. And so you're yeah. like, I'm going to get better, <laughs> go to the gym. Um, now that, you know, you're much older, you've obviously kind of transitioned to much better shape now as well. What is the main kind of pull for you to work out now? Is it more just kind of the benefits and the kind of health aspect of it? Or is this still a little bit about appearance for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And my thoughts on this have shifted a bit. I think every man, so there, there's this part of working out that I think every man needs to go through to put a physique on and I call this your homeostasis set point and your homeostasis set point is basically like that natural point that all men or all you know just a human can get to if they master the fundamentals when it comes to eating moving sleeping etc and then with your physique specifically all we all have a body that we can get to and I think you know I base a lot of my thesis and my program off of our ancestors and how our ancestors moved, breathed, ate, etc. And so if you looked at them, you know, they were muscular beings just naturally. Why? Because they're practicing the fundamentals at a very high level. And so first off, I think everyone should just master the fundamentals and do the fundamentals at a high level, eat, move, sleep, breathe, etc. And then so that's the first thing is I just we should honor our ancestors because that's the body we were evolved from. And we should do that. So that's getting into your homeostasis set point. And then the second part of it is for men, and even for myself, like I work out now to, yes, keep my physique because there is a confidence piece that comes with it. I've never been, when I first got to this physique, I was, I had never been more confident than I was when I had a physique like this. And now, especially, you know, that, that kind of keeps going up the, 
not the tighter my physique gets, but the more my physique is leveraged with what I do day to day. Um, but the biggest thing that I think is underlooked, and I think a lot of guys can, you know, take a new perspective on this, is in King Warrior Magician Lover, there's again four archetypes, one of them being the warrior. I think a lot of men have their warrior energy or their warrior archetype completely deactivated right now because they're not leaning into discomfort enough and exercising and specifically weight training, CrossFit, doing hard things baseline. But then exercising and training is one of the most consistent ways to, to tap into that discomfort, which in by default is activating our warrior energy. So our warrior energy as a man is the thing that is, is going to push us to go and do shit, to go and achieve goals. Like that's our warrior energy. And to go do hard shit in the face of adversity. And so I think that's the physical anchor that allows us to tap into our, our mental energy, which is the warrior energy, right? Like there's that mental psyche, which is you know, the archetype, the warrior. We can anchor it or we can use a physical anchor to activate that side of us, which I think the easiest way to do it is show up in the gym, you know, five, six, seven days a week, whatever it is for you and go and do a hard workout. Okay. When you do that, and if anyone that's, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys work out here, like we know what that is. Like when you're pushing yourself in the gym or you're doing a hard run or whatever that might be, that that feeling, that sensation that comes from that and the post feeling afterwards, it develops a side of you that isn't available if you're not doing hard shit. And so that warrior energy tapping into that and maintaining it, okay, you can tap into it, but then if you stop working out for a year, like it goes away, right? And I talk about this with identities uh, a lot. It's like, hey, if you call yourself an entrepreneur, I'm going to ask you, what are you doing? Oh, I actually built and sold a business. Oh, yeah. How long ago? Three years ago. What are you doing now? Well, I've been fishing. Okay, you're not an entrepreneur. It's like, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay, what are you doing? You know, I built and sold a business. Okay, how long ago? Three years. What are you doing now? I'm building another business. Okay, I'd consider you an entrepreneur. So same thing goes with this, this idea of like your warrior energy, right? Like you can activate it once, but then if you don't keep activating, like it will go away. If you, if you stop being, stop putting yourself in discomfort, right? It's going to go away. That edge as a man is going to go away. So I think that is the most underlooked part of exercising right now because it's the easiest way to constantly keep your warrior energy like quote unquote online or activated. And that is the thing that is going to make us just go nuts and and uh, uh, just tear up any goals that we have, seriously. Uh, and I've actually seen this, a couple of guys in my program that have joined, they built their businesses up, they got comfortable, right? Now they're losing themselves. They're getting really soft. They're not you know, being that ambitious anymore because they're not doing anything hard anymore. So um, I think every man should be in the gym or at least exercising. It doesn't have to be four walls and some weights, but that's that's probably one of the, the, the biggest and most underlooked areas when it comes to the gym and, and why I continue to go for sure. That's, um, that's super fascinating. I wanted to ask you because you kind of touched on that second stat about um, – you know, men's testosterone dropping by up to, what did you say, 50%? Yeah, 50% since 1972, that's, yeah. That's staggering. Did did you find, like, over your time of, like, researching this, have you figured out, is there any correlation between why the testosterone lo levels are dropping at the rate that they are? Did you identify any of those potential causes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So it comes down, I think, to two main factors. It's the toxins in our environment. Predominantly, the one that you're going to hear about the most when when you go out and search on your own is called EDCs. Okay, so they're endocrine disrupting chemicals. 
those are plastics, those are, you know, actual toxins or actual chemicals. Um, those can be so things like microplastics in our water, those can be heavy metals, those can be things called parabons, those can be um, sulfates, like there's a ton out there. If you just search up like what are EDCs, a list of EDCs, they'll show you what those are and where they're at, where they are in your uh, your personal care products, the water you're drinking, et cetera. So that's kind of like category one, which I bucket like toxins. We're being more and more exposed to like toxins on a daily basis, especially if you live in a, a city. Again, toxins are everywhere. The air, okay, the water, especially now. And I don't know how much fluoride plays into this specifically with your testosterone, but um, most cities, most major cities now are fluorinated. So the water, there's water, there's fluoride in the in the water. That's having a huge effect. So there's toxins everywhere. So that's bucket number one. Bucket number two is lifestyle. Okay. Like if you look at the curve in terms of obesity across North America, since I would say 1920 to 1930, if you started there, it's just constantly gone up and up and up and up and up and up. And what happened around the 1970s, specifically around 1950 to 1960, was there was a huge like shift basically in terms of nutrition. We were eating a ton of animal fats, a ton of red meat. And although that's still, you know, prevalent, people are still eating that. The relative amounts of how much they're eating that and relying on these organic whole foods versus now what's been introduced, which is seed oils, which is a lot of refined processed foods that now the American diet literally consists of majority. That in that period, started to make the shift because it became the majority of the type of food, the type of calorie that we were consuming. So the lifestyle component first off starts with nutrition. Nutrition has a huge effect on our hormone system and specifically for men, testosterone. And then we became industrialized. We started working a ton, right? Especially men specifically, we started working longer than we ever have past when the sun goes down and our sleep started to deteriorate. And sleep is a huge correlation with our hormone system. And if we're constantly undersleeping, our testosterone levels get repressed and repressed and repressed and repressed. And then on top of that, we started to move less, right? So all of those key fundamentals that, again, if you look at our, how our body was evolved 300,000 years ago, as our ancestors evolved it, they were moving on average eight hours a day. They were eating whole foods, organic. They weren't exposed to toxins. And now in the past 100 years, that's radically shifted, okay? And we haven't compensated for it in our lifestyle. And so- in that mid-90s area, a lot of these shifts became really prevalent. And now over the past 50, 60, 70 years, those have those have shown itself in what's going on with men. And testosterone levels are down primarily due to toxins and the major shifts in our lifestyle uh, in today's world. What would you say the main things are um, that contribute to I guess having more energy and just overall kind of better health that you see a lot of people nowadays neglect. Yeah. Um, is there an area specifically we want to go down? Like there's, cause I, there's a ton, <laughs> but um, just the most there, common. sorry, just the most common, I guess, like the ones that you see the most people neglecting. Yo, I think it's let's, let's specific, uh, get specific with entrepreneurs. Um, because I think a, you guys are all entrepreneurs, I would assume, you know, a lot of your podcast listeners are as well. And there's an interesting thing with entrepreneurs is because they have 
uh, a little bit more disposable income if they're doing things right. And they have a lot less time perceived than, than everyone else. And so they kind of force themselves into some more common buckets. The biggest one, and probably with, you know, seeing this with the guys that come through my program, one of the biggest and easiest shifts you can make is your nutrition. Hands down, nutrition is limiting your energy so much. You don't even realize how much it is limiting, limiting, because a lot of us, we've been eating these ways since we were young, since we were in high school. And those habits, unless intervened, haven't been touched. Like they've, they've been the same habits for years and years and years. What, what that does is you reset your baseline. It's called baseline resetting, where now all of a sudden, what you thought was 100% energy, you know what I mean? If you plug your phone in, you get 100%. Well, that 100% is now 70%, but you think it's 100%. That's baseline resetting, basically. And so in high school, right? Because this is a perfect scenario, especially for guys like us and any young entrepreneur. We weren't an entrepreneur, so we didn't value our time and energy in high school. But what we did is we built up these nutritional habits. Then we transitioned, still with the nutritional habits, into a role that now we care about our time and energy. Okay? But now we're caring about our time and energy in a new container that is 70% of 100, right? Thinking it's 100, right? So now we think, oh, okay, this is my energy levels. This is what I have to use on a day-to-day basis, right? So you go, you continue eating because you don't know any difference because you've always felt this way. But in reality, you just became aware that this is my energy level. This is how much time I have. This is my focus levels, et cetera. So when guys have come to me, they're like, man, I didn't even know I had these kind of energy levels. I didn't even know I could influence my energy like I have with changing just my diet. Well, it's because you weren't aware of it than you were. And now all of a sudden you make these changes like, holy shit, dude, now I'm, I feel like I'm operating, you know, 30, 40% higher than I, than I could possibly ever. I was like, no, 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 that was always there. You just believed that this was your hundred percent when in reality you're at, you're at 70%. So nutrition's the biggest one, I think by far quickest and easiest. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is sleep. I think a, with the technology now, we should always have good sleep because I should, let me back that up with the technology. We can track our sleep really well. Things like aura and whoop and Apple, you know, watch, et cetera. And then B there's so many easy changes that you can make that you just should be making those changes. Cause it Matthew Walker in, in the book, why we sleep, he's like, Hey, all these things are great, but arguably sleep is the foundation to all these other fundamentals. So with sleep, you just, if you're not sleeping well, and everyone knows it, like if you have a bad, day if you have a bad nights of sleep you're gonna have just a awful day it doesn't matter how much coffee you drink what food you eat what you do like you're just you're just limiting yourself so sleep and nutrition is probably the biggest ones in terms of sleep action items just go to bed at the same time wake up at the same time that's that's number one um next thing aim for to be in bed for at least like time in bed not time of sleep time in bed for eight and a half hours then if you're tracking then you can get a little more dialed in but you know, consistent start and wake time, and then eight and a half hours of actual in bed time. Uh, if you're not tracking, if you're tracking, different story. But yeah, we can keep going on that. But those are probably the two biggest ones: is nutrition and sleep for sure. What's your thoughts on caffeine? Like, uh, what's your opinion in relation to that? Uh, go, no go. Mm-hmm. I say it's a go. Um, but here's the misconception: caffeine doesn't give you energy. It just makes you feel like you're more energized because of what it does in your brain. Endocene, I, I can't fully pronounce that. I don't think that's how it's pronounced, but just look it up. Your endocene receptors become blocked by caffeine. 
Okay. Endocene is responsible for making you feel alert or awake or, or um, fatigued. Okay. And uh, so it just blocks it. So it makes you feel like you're not tired. So that's number one. And that's why I say like, it doesn't actually give you any energy, but what it does do is it helps you hone in your focus. So I like to use caffeine myself for getting focused, being alert. Okay. But I don't use it to, to get more energy. It doesn't really do anything. And the studies prove that it doesn't actually do anything for your energy. What it does is it really gets you focused. So use coffee accordingly and have it set in your mind accordingly. I was actually just having a conversation with one of my men and, um, he was like, man, I, I started to create this really bad dependency on coffee to feel energized. I'm like, well, the problem is, is that you're using caffeine wrong. You're perceiving it in your mind wrong, right? You think by drinking all this coffee, you're going to be able to stay more energized throughout the day. But in reality, it's not even doing that. It's all placebo, right? So you have this dependency on a thing that's not even actually doing the thing that you think it's going to do, right? So what you need to do is, is back up reframe what coffee is okay it's a focus thing all right so i'm going to use it when i need to be focused which have its caveats and so i'm going to use it in the morning because i you know that's when i want to be most focused i do my deep work etc uh but it's still going to have an effect on your sleep so with that aside understand it's not for energy it's for focus and then b the caffeine still does have something uh, to do with your sleep most people will report hey i can drink coffee and still go to bed fine that's cool i can as well but what I can't do is have deep restorative sleep, okay? Because what's going on is you can fall asleep fine. And a lot of people will be like, hey, man, you have a trouble falling asleep, drinking coffee? No, 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 man. Like, I'll look at Europe. Like, Europe, you'll have a, it's okay to have like a coffee, you know, standard at like 8, 8 p.m. at night. Everyone's falling asleep fine. But let's, you know, throw whoop, whoop straps on all of them and, and see what goes on with their sleep, right? So it's actual getting into deep restorative sleep because what's occurring is your body can't get into, you know, that, that, rest and digest that parasympathetic system because that you know that jitteriness that you guys feel when you drink coffee sometimes that's keeping your body like alert and active okay so it's not allowing your hrv to to really do its thing get into deeper sort of sleep so um in terms of when to stop 12 hours before bed that's just kind of like a general guideline try not to drink more than 200 milligrams for other people say 400 milligrams that comes down to everyone has a different metabolism with coffee if you want to know, take um, a, a genetics test. Self-decode's really good. It will tell you if you have the fast metabolizing caffeine gene, basically. And, it, and it'll be like, okay, you can do 400 milligrams or 200 milligrams, basically. But safe bet, 200 milligrams, stop 12, before, 12 hours before you go to bed. And, uh, and you'll be on a, a good track to leverage caffeine, but not you know be taken advantage of or, or uh, let it impact you in other areas. So I know you mentioned, um, sorry, that was, that was great on the caffeine thing. I know you mentioned with the, like un, not getting enough sleep. Um, can mm -hmm. you touch on like oversleeping? Like, is that something that is actually a thing or is it, yeah, you know, is that real? Like what? Yeah, it is a good, a good question. Personally, I haven't looked too much into it, but I, I do know it is a thing. And I know Matthew Walker in his book, Why We Sleep does actually talk about it where there is that window where it's like going over consistently more than you need actually does have like a law of diminishing returns effect. So I can't speak too, too much to it. It's not something that I've, that I've looked into too much, but subjectively, I even know, and I talked to this about my, uh, in the program about just 
oversleeping in the sense of of uh sleeping in like subjectively i find in, in market feedback from the guys in my program our focus tends to deteriorate like if we're constantly like sleeping in past when we would normally get up that's something that i do have like a data point on with some validity you know is it you know science back by no means but um oversleeping i know there is an impact but i don't know exactly what it is sleeping in which i would consider two different things sleeping in uh that also has an impact and subjectively kind of anecdotally definitely affects your focus if you're constantly sleeping in past when you'd normally get up. But that that's about as far as I can go on that. Okay. Sweet. I don't know if you've heard the stat. There was a, there's a book I read a while back called, uh, I think it was sleep better. I don't remember the author, but yeah, uh, Sean talk- Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. Um, he mentioned a stat where it's like, if you, get on average, I think it was less than seven hours per, of sleep per night mm-hmm. from like when you're born until the ages of 25 mm-hmm. and increases your likelihood of a stroke and heart attack. Uh, it was something crazy. It might be wrong, but it was like around 70% or something like that. And when I read yeah. that, I was like, damn, <laughs> like that's, <laughs> I definitely have not been averaging more than seven hours. <laughs> 100%. And it goes one step further, actually. If you sleep um, an average of six hours a night, your 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 uh risk of getting cancer doubles yeah yeah like there's so many so 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 many and actually um can i plug can i plug my my uh program yeah. here for a sec in uh <laughs> i actually just dropped a uh a free facebook group which is called above men uh peak performance for for entrepreneurial men on facebook completely free there's two main things in it but one of them is i put all of my sleep content in there for free and the first video is literally called why we sleep. And I go through just, you know, study after study after study after study on all of the reasons why you should sleep by like showing you, hey, if you don't sleep, you're more likely to do X, you're more likely to get this, you're more likely to do this. It's just nonsense. How like out of it someone has to be to constantly undersleep after seeing that. And that's why I want to kind of like get that out there. It is insane. You know, there's just no reason that you should be constantly undersleeping if you're serious about two things. Mastery, which I think is the ultimate game, Udaimoni Viarte. But more importantly, even if you don't even care about mastery, you just care about as an entrepreneur, making a ton of money, et cetera. You are literally impairing your ability to make money if you're constantly undersleeping. You think, okay, an extra hour at night grinding away on the laptop. Dude, think about, just take a step back and think about how poor quality that, that, that work is, you know? And it's like how much better you would be to actually just go to bed, wake up refreshed and get to it in the morning. So I think undersleeping is just the most nonsense thing that you can do if you're serious about, you know, building a business, mastery, any of that athletic performance, all of it. Yeah, man, I need to go watch that video because since I started (laughs) tracking my sleep, I realized that I've on the dot been averaging six hours of sleep every single night. Damn, dude. That's a scary stat. Holy shit. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really good, and I, again, I talk about this in the sleep mastery course, the idea of creating constraints and non-negotiables, okay? But, like, this idea of, like, you, you as a business owner, okay, you think, oh, I have all the time in the day, like, you know, right now, I'm single, I don't have to worry about anyone, like, I can just, like, grind. But with that allows you to constantly give yourself excuses. Oh, if I just do this, if I don't do this now, I can do this later, okay? And then, like, you know, 9 o'clock comes around and I'll do it. But if you give yourself constraints, okay, and non-negotiables, like it's like, I don't care where I'm at with my business. If I'm even going to put myself in, in, a, in a jeopardizing position, I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm prioritizing my energy, okay? 
when you do that, something really interesting happens, which I call constraints breeds creativity. I don't, I don't call it that. I got it from, you know, someone, but I really like the idea of it. Constraints breeds creativity. So your, your mental thinking now shifts. The first couple of times you kind of, you kind of mess with yourself. You know, it's like, ah, shit. Like I kind of screwed myself over. Something's going to, you know, I'm going to have to like do something tomorrow that I, I, you know, whatever. But then after a couple of those repetitions of complete non-negotiable, nine o'clock, I'm done. Seven o'clock, I'm done. Whatever that is for you, specifically for your sleep here. This is going to apply to anything in your life. Now your brain has to start thinking differently to achieve the same outcomes that you were used to by going all late into the night until everything got done. Something really interesting occurs there that I recommend everyone try for at least a week to two weeks. And then you'll want to stick with it because like, dude, I just achieved, right? Everything I needed to that I would have otherwise achieved when I didn't set those boundaries. And again, I don't know what law it is, you know, Murphy's law or, or Parkinson's law, something like that, where whatever boundaries you set for yourself, you'll get it done. It kind of builds off that. But then specifically to making sure your energy is good and doesn't matter what goes on with your business. As soon as seven o'clock comes around, boom, shut down complete. Nine o'clock, I'm winding down, in bed, eight hours, done, like regardless. So constraints breeds creativity and it, and it works wonders and it allows you to still have all your energy and work on your business. I got a question. Uh, I'm going to take it back to the caffeine thing. Mm-hmm. So you said caffeine doesn't give you energy. It blocks out the um, like the tired or the awakeness yeah. and yep. it increases your focus, correct? Yeah, well, I don't uh, That being said, I actually, it's an interesting point. I don't know if the same that that same like uh, chemical reaction that's going on in the brain is what's responsible for focus or mm-hmm. if it's doing another role. But I do know that's why we don't feel alert or tired. But go on. OK, so in, in general terms, it doesn't give you energy. It gives you focus. Yeah. Basically. Would you would you argue that focus is a form of energy? I would I would argue that focus is a form of energy. Yes. OK, so so te- theoretically, then coffee in some way or form provides you energy totally now that being said there's a caveat to that yeah right because if your total energy isn't changing mm-hmm. it's your perception of how much energy you have yeah that's where focus falls under energy it's the psychological effect yeah because there's four yeah. pillars okay there's four pillars i talk about in my program of energy and i'm sure there's more but this is how i like to chalk it up and, and it seems to resonate well with the guys in my program there's your psychological, there's your physiological, there's your psychological, then there's clarity. So how clear you are on your goals and there's the environment. What, what influences you from an external factor? Mm-hmm. Your physiology is the only thing that can actually give you energy. Okay, It's the only thing that will actually give you more energy, more total battery, basically. Then your psychology is the thing that can like become more efficient with your energy, hone that in, channel that energy. Right. So focus is channeling the energy. So when you channel, like if you take a a perfect example of your psychology is if you took a magnifying glass, right? The sun, it's not burning anything, but you you take that magnifying glass. We all did that as kids and we hone it in. And all of a sudden now we can like burn ants and stuff. And like, you know, because that, that it focused in on the magnifying glass and then, and it took the rays of light that was coming, that was to being diffused, focused it. And now all of a sudden the power just like multiplied to the point of you literally could start burning ants. Right. Mm-hmm. But there was no more total energy that happened. We just harnessed the energy into a smaller point. So the same goes with our with quote unquote coffee. It's not actually giving me more energy. It's just focusing the energy, channeling it. Yeah. But it's, it's ironic, though, because it's perceived value of 
more energy because it's more focused. Therefore, the output result appears that you're doing more because you have more energy. Man. Even though the, I know, I just love it because it's so interesting to me how I actually didn't know that about the coffee. That's very interesting, but it actually mm -hmm. makes sense though. So, like yeah. theoretically, I'm actually thinking I have more energy by mm -hmm. drinking more coffee. So I'm gonna keep drinking more coffee and get more work done. Yeah, <laughs> it's just but a compounding effect. Yeah, hundred percent. But then it's like yeah. if I keep trying to focus more, if I keep trying to focus my energy and but my energy is dwindling right i'm focusing less energy so it's like yeah okay, at the start of the day i might be focusing 70 70 percent of my energy into this thing but then i drink a coffee at six o'clock thinking oh if i just drink more coffee i'm gonna get more energy but all in reality you're doing is trying to focus 30 percent of energy into you know what i mean yeah so it just doesn't work like that uh to use coffee as an energizer right it's a channeler of energy. It's like a funnel. It's like yeah, exactly. there's there's yeah. water coming out of the faucet and you're using the funnel to then channel that energy. But 100%. eventually what happens is the water coming out of the faucet is the same size as the hole in the funnel. Totally. Or there's just no more water there. It's yeah. like, you know, it doesn't matter how many coffees you drink. If there's no more water coming to begin with, then you can't channel shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was a good answer. That was exactly the answer I was looking for. Thank you. Beautiful. I like that analogy, Dan. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, I think um, I heard something a while back about how the reason you don't feel tired when you drink uh, caffeine is it blocks those receptors that are responsible for kind of sending the tiredness, I guess, yep. signals to your brain. So yep. if like tiredness is still present completely, you just don't really realize it, <laughs> which is kind of weird to think about. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy. Yeah, to your point, it's weird to think about it in the sense of like, that's just how much our brain or like how much our world is like an illusion, quote unquote. Right? Yeah. All right. So on the topic of sleep here, um, you mentioned kind of the two main things that you think more people should do is just go to bed at a consistent time and spend eight and a half hours uh, of time in bed. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any other sleep rituals that you follow that you've seen make a really big impact in your life? 100%. Again, I'll relate this back. I mean, this one just this first one goes for everyone, entrepreneur or not. Uh, the other one, I think, again, it still can relate to everyone, but entrepreneurs, it'll, it'll impact, it's more more potent, or I see it affecting them more when they don't do this. So first things first, called digital sunset, okay? The, it's pretty self-explanatory in the sense of you just like put away all your technology an hour before you go to bed, okay? So best case scenario is an hour and a half. Admittedly, that's even hard for me, um, simply because e even though that my technology isn't like, entertaining me or consuming me in the sense of I might not be on my phone, like watching in Instagram or Netflix or whatever. Still on my computer working away here, right? I'm a single dude. Like I don't have anything else to do Monday through Friday, nor do I want to. Um, but digital sunsets, very important. Few reasons. One inputs. So it's like, if you're constantly on your technology, typically you're at a high stim external stimulus, right? You're like bouncing between tabs. You're thinking about a, a bunch of stuff, especially if you're working so it's stimulating your brain. If your mind's stimulated, then it's not in a rest, rest of state. Your cortisol's up, your melatonin's, your melatonin's down. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is just technology in general. So we all have, we're all on Zoom right now looking at a screen that unless you have a filter on, blue light is being admitted from this. And so if we go back again, 300,000 years ago, the only source of blue light 300,000 years ago when our body was being evolved, being like, you know, researched and developed, as I like to put it by Mother Nature, uh, blue light was only coming from the sun. And blue light ended up being the, the thing that signaled to the body that when in absence of, it's time to go to bed. So in the, aka when the sun set, right, our body would then be like, okay, 
cortisol goes down, melatonin goes up, melatonin is responsible for getting drowsy, getting ready to go to bed, right, going to sleep. And that only occurred when the sun went down. So for 300,000 years up until, you know, electricity came around, that was the case, right? Blue light went away, okay, or faded, and then our body started to get tired. Now we can hijack that and we can be stimulated by blue light. Every screen, every piece of technology that emits some sort of light is most likely admitting blue light. And so if it's emitting blue light, it's telling your body the sun is up because the body hasn't adapted to technology. It knows no difference whether we're looking at a screen or we're staring into the sun. And so if that's the case, then every time we're looking at a screen or where we have light, bright lights on, especially overhead lights, because that's signaling that the sun's up, we're telling the body it's not time to go to bed. And for that reason, you know, melatonin shouldn't be produced. And for that reason, we're less likely to go right into deep sleep. Okay. And it's going to take longer to go to bed. All right. So when you do, so common thing, you're, you're on your phone in your bed being blasted by blue light. And then you put your phone down and you, you try to fall asleep. A, most people are like, I do that and I still fall asleep. Yeah, because you've constantly been undersleeping for the past freaking 10 years of your life, dude. No wonder you're going to fall asleep quickly. Like you, your body is literally like saying any sleep I can get, I am going to take right now. So for anybody that says like, hey, I do this, I like, you know, sit on my phone and then put my phone down and then go to bed. It's like, yeah, dude, you're, you're completely undersleeping to begin with. <laughs> your, your body is literally grasping for oxygen right now. But if you get to the level of, hey, I'm good on sleep, you do that, your mind is going to be constantly stimulated, very stimulated, and you won't be able to go to sleep as quickly, and you won't get as much deep sleep, deep and restorative sleep, so deep in, in REM sleep. Um, so that's the digital sunset side. One hour before bed, okay? Put it off. The important piece of this is do something when your technology is away. Because like, man, like if I'm not on my phone, if I'm not on Instagram, if I'm not texting people, like what do I do? Read, stretch, go for a walk, have a tea and freaking think, okay? Spend some alone time. Like just figure something out that you're going to pre-commit to doing or else you're going to constantly find yourself like mentally going back to technology. Ah, I'll just pick up my phone for a little bit more, right? So digital sunset, good way to do that. Set an alarm 30 minutes before you need to do the digital sunset, okay? And then another alarm right at the digital sunset point and then turn your phone off, move to reading, Move to even cleaning your place, like whatever that might be. You have to pick something. So that's number one. Number two is what I call shutdown complete. Shutdown complete occurs when you're trying to stop working. So for us entrepreneurs, we're thinking about a ton of stuff every single day. And we need a, some sort of cue to shut our brain down from work. Or else we're going to go to bed. And again, admittedly, I still do this sometimes on busy days. But I put these things in place for a reason. If you don't put something in place to like cue yourself to go to bed, you go to bed with your work. You don't want that. Your, your, your bed's for sleep and sex. That's it. It's not for working. And so for that reason, okay, we need a cue to shut our brain off to say work is done for the day. And how shutdown complete works is I personally always recommend that the easiest way to do shutdown complete is plan tomorrow today. That's it. What are you going to do tomorrow when you first wake up? That goes into another principle book. That's the easiest way to start shutdown complete. It's a it's um, a concept pulled actually from Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. Shutdown complete. Step one, plan tomorrow today. Next thing, if you had a rough day, journal it out. Grab some, you know, pen and paper. Just journal your thoughts out. Journal anything that was stressing you for the day. That's really going to help close those loops that are happening in your brain. And just put them on paper. 
you can address them tomorrow or you might even be able to address them right then and there when you when you journal it out because a lot of the time it's a lot of nonsense that we're telling ourselves but it's in our head so it just like feels more real than it is when we write it out it's like man you know that conversation i had with the client today it wasn't actually that serious or you know that 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 uh thing i need to do tomorrow it's not that serious or like that deadline whatever it is when you journal it out it becomes less you know serious okay and even if it is serious just make an action plan. As men, we're very logical, very analytical, and we can put an action plan together pretty quickly. So journal it out, plan tomorrow today. Um, and then the last one is end of day reporting. I guess there's two more steps, but end of day reporting, I won't go too much into this. This is something I implement with the guys inside the program. There's a bunch of key KPIs, just like in your business, you track you know, operating expenses, profit and loss, how many you know doors did you knock? How many leads did you get? How much revenue did you collect? If those are so important in your business, well, we should probably track the key KPIs in our energy. Okay. Did we move the body? What was our mood today? Did we meditate? You know, what was our focus levels? How much time were we on our phone today for personal use? Did we follow our diet or not? Did we consume any toxins, be it weed, alcohol, sugar, seed oils? You know, there's key KPIs in your energy, just like your business. So if you're tracking things in your business, and I'll say, why are you tracking? Oh, they're important to me. Okay. Well, Aren't these things important to you just with your energy? So end of day reporting looks at the subjective outputs on how you perform that day as an individual and specifically as an entrepreneur. So when you do those things, there's a lot of reasons why we do those things, but it eases your mind, okay? It, it, it brings uh, the day to a close. And the last piece, which is really powerful, is just saying like, I'm done for the day or shut down complete or, you know, good day today or whatever it is, you just cue yourself uh, verbally that will kind of allow yourself to settle and you're going to bed with a lot less thoughts, especially open loops that again, give your, give your space, give you space to rest, to restore and come back at it in a fresh focused uh, point of view, right? Especially the planning tomorrow today. If you go to bed, not planning the day, you're going to bed thinking, what do I need to do today? So um bit of a long winded answer, but, but very, very valuable stuff. If you guys implement that for anyone listening, game changer game changer for your mental health your physical health etc i got uh two questions for you uh first question uh regarding diet mm -hmm. so i know you mentioned uh no caffeine 12 hours before sleeping what mm -hmm. would you recommend uh for eating like um no eating before like what three hours before bed one hour three bed? hours does it matter or yeah it does matter um, so why yeah so a few first off minimum two hours before bed but reality three to four hours is like best if you guys look up a guy um brian johnson spelled with a y the the new like super biohacky guy that's like tracking himself he's even stopped eating at 11 a.m and he's like tried all of the and he's like dude 11 a.m i stop eating and i go to bed at like nine or eight right and he's like this is the best i'm like i think that's extreme and it's very hard to do so it's like realistically what's the next best thing three hours that's pretty manageable Three hours is very manageable. Um, the biggest thing is controlling those like urges that we built up ourselves with snacking and whatnot. The mm -hmm. reason is your body pretty much has like two systems and it's either in like fight or flight or like rest and digest, right? And uh, when you're eating heavily, it's interrupting your rest and digest, which is funny because it's called rest and digest, but it's actually like, it's not allowing your body to go into full restorative mode. Part of the reason is when your digestive system's on, like it needs to be pushing blood and resources to your digestive tract and can't actually fully shut off. So if like there's a function, it's basically like 
the way I, uh, an analogy, a good analogy I use is like, if you have your phone on and you have a bunch of apps running in the background, right? Like it's, it's burning more energy than it needs to. But if you just like swipe those, you, you weren't using those apps, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like you, those apps are still running in the background. It's kind of the same thing. Like it's just doing something that it shouldn't be doing at that current time. Um, and so eating within that three hour window will typically keep your digestive tract turned on. So that being said, if you if you were to snack at night, if you keep it very light, your that digest that initial digestive process can happen quicker. So you can get away with it. But eating heavier meals like a full dinner, like if you ate like a thousand calorie, you know, 80 gram protein meal and then tried to go to bed an hour later, two hours later, like eesh. especially if your digestive system's already slow. So like the speed, you can increase the speed of how quickly your digestive system happens, depends on how cleared out your system is. If you're already slow and it takes you longer than the average person digests, then you need probably even need to do four or five hours, right? But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, that's that perfect. Yeah. And then the second question was um, intermittent fasting. So um, how, like, you know, there's so many hours, like there's like 12 hours, 14, 16 mm-hmm. hours, however many hours. Um, so obviously intermittent fasting, um, I would assume, we're well, not going to say assume. Um, have you, you've, talked about it before yeah yeah definitely i recommend it in my program i do it every day yeah okay yeah so i guess what would what is the reasoning behind intermittent fasting and what's the problem with eating too early after you wake up i mean there's not really a problem it just depends on what you're optimizing for so what's the point of uh, intermittent fasting well for me the main thing with intermittent fasting I would say besides like the 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 studies that have been coming out now with science is predominantly around like modeling our ancestors. So I've said this a few times, like mm-hmm. a lot of what I have put together with above men is modeling how our ancestors eat, moved, breathe, you know, slept, et cetera. Why? Because the body we're in was evolved over the 300,000 years that are the homeo sapiens have been around and even the millions of years before that, before we became quote unquote homo sapiens. And so it's like, I want to honor not, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, but just simply because like, that's where our body has come from for the past literally 290,000 years before we became agricultural society, we were hunter gatherers. And so that's how we operated. Like we wouldn't eat. It went longer than, you know, 16, eight window. It would go maybe like very likely that we did like 24 hour windows on a regular basis of just not eating. And then we'd eat for like an hour and then not eat for another 24, 36 hours. So, you know, to honor that 16, eight, I think just goes from an evolutionary perspective. It just fits. Okay. I actually fast pretty frequently. I'll do like a 24 hour here, 36 hour there simply because a, it feels good. And then B it's honoring how our bodies was evolved. So that's the baseline. You know, the science is getting clearer and clearer and there's a lot of benefit to it. Some of the benefits specifically when it comes to um, like entrepreneurs is our focus for sure. Like if you just think from a lifestyle standpoint, when you don't have to worry about food in the morning, you can get up and work. Nothing better, getting up, drinking some water, grabbing a coffee and just fucking head down on some deep work. Like love it. Okay. And that's when I get my best work done. Mm -hmm. But if I have to like wake up, you know, worry about food and then now I'm, I'm like digesting the food. I'm removing some of that energy that I would have otherwise focused and now like using a digestion, you know, it's just not the same. Um, 
and there again there is like actual scientific benefits and we like i don't really think it's valuable to get into it as much as like the lifestyle principles that come behind it and the why i personally do it which is from an evolutionary lens right longer fasts those are things that are are even more um not predominant but more well studied and you look back in history especially in the past like 2000 years a lot of guy like really smart guys knew longer term fasting was just like a miracle for like curing illnesses or sicknesses getting over just like the cold but then solving problems like i forget who it was i think it was aristotle i think it was aristotle and plato or some of the guys like some of the um the greeks they would do like long fasts like three, four, five, six, seven, eight day fasts when they were trying to solve really complex problems. Because you just like get into the nonstop flow state. I even feel this when I do a 36 hour fast, when I don't have to worry about food for 36 hours, like you just get into this new flow. So um, yeah, I don't know, we can dive deeper in you if you want to, but I, I don't, when it comes to fasting, because it, you know, everyone has a different take from a science standpoint. I don't really care to jump into like the science side of it as much as like the reasons mm -hmm. I personally choose to coach it and like why I do it, which is the evolutionary lens. And then the lifestyle perspective, the focus standpoint that is just like subjectively felt um, when you're doing it as an entrepreneur. So that when you say like, just, what problems is solving or what problems are it with eating? There isn't, but like, what's your goal that you're optimizing for? I'm optimizing for focus. Mm -hmm. I'm optimizing for productivity. And if that's the case, fasting is a great solution. Yeah, I agree that 100%. Um, Daniel, I know you want to ask a question. I'm just going to ask Cam one more and then you can go. Um, yeah. How many, it's just a short question. So yeah. just like one answer question, how many hours would you recommend, recommend fasting? Like 14 or 16 or is it 20 or like, like just yeah, someone starting 16, that just eight. wants to, six, 16? 16, eight. Yeah. So eight hour eating yeah. window, 16 Sounds hour good. fasted. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Now, does that 16 hours like matter like when? Or like, is it, should you do the 16 hours, like late evening to like early, like late morning kind of a thing? Or does like, does that matter? Yeah. Good question. It just comes down to lifestyle. Like I even, when I get the guys to first start fasting, I'm like, Hey man, I recommend a 12 to eight eating window. But if that doesn't work for you, do it 10, six, do it eight, four, like whatever works for you, just fit it. Because part of the fasting process, like going into that six hour window again is digesting the last meal. So it's like whenever your last meal is done, like that's when you technically start fasting. Um, so it doesn't really matter per se. It's just whatever your lifestyle is going to you know, be best suited for it. And that's daily, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's inter so that, that's considered intermittent fasting and then extended fast or like long-term fast or anything past 24 hours. So um, I recommend doing longer term fasts on a regular basis, like once a month, quarter, like at least a 24 hour fast once a month or at least once a quarter like where anyone that that doesn't do them on a regular basis um highly recommend doing extended fasts for sure i wanted so to um oh, really sorry, quickly Dan. no i just really wanted to touch on like a couple of small tips um and i wanted to see if you had any tips on this camp but mm. there's two quick tips one of them caffeine if you are going to take it and you want to avoid the burnout consume your caffeine at least an hour after you wake up um, mm. This is actually a study that was done by Andrew Huberman. So you can take a look at that if you're interested in that. And the second tip I have for not snacking late at night is brush your teeth. 
Hmm. Um, and I was curious if you had any other tips. Cause that's what I found works for me. If I, cause I'm a snacky guy and I know that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm like at home, just chilling and it's late at night, like I have the urge to like go to the like, cabinet find something to eat, like find a snack, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. So I just mm-hmm. brush my teeth and it just like kills it. So mm-hmm. I was curious if you had any tips, especially for fasting, what are the ways to get through those hunger uh, challenges? Yeah. Um, the, the brushing the teeth one's really good. If you track your meals, another one is like if you put all your meals in, you know, whatever you use, my fitness pal chronometer, whatever, uh, and then like put your phone away and you're like, fuck, if I eat, then, you know, da, da, da. that's another kind of like friction point. Um, but the biggest thing I think in the times I feel the most snacky is when I don't hit my homeostasis set point when it comes to eating. So talked about it earlier. Everyone has that natural amount of food that when you're at a certain body level, that's going to match it. Other people just call it like maintenance calories, whatever. If you're not hitting that, you know, you're going to constantly be hungry. And then specifically within that, especially if you're hitting your calories, but you're not hitting high protein. I think protein is one of the best ways to say satiated. Like if you're eating a high protein diet, there's a very low likelihood that you're going to constantly be wanting to snack or eat more food and I I actually just recently like watched myself go through this there was a few days where I didn't hit my protein levels and I was like man like I just constantly want food throughout the day and I was like looking at my chronometer I'm like ah this is why so hitting hitting your protein levels and again most people are under eating protein to begin with so it makes sense because we're filling ourselves with a lot of like carbs empty calories Uh, so protein would probably be my number one aside from your tip, which would be brush your teeth and the latency potential in the sense of when you first start fasting, it's just going to be a bit harder than when you do it, you know, for two, three, four ongoing weeks. Um, so just recognize that run that, like override that mental model of like, Hey, this is just happening right now, but it will go away. Like the sensation because it does. And now this is my uh, second question to this is what would you do in terms of trying to detox the body? Would that be specifically fasting or are there other methods to detox as well? Oh, damn. That's, that's a heavy question. Um, that'll take a whole other podcast, but, uh, in terms of some quick things, it's the easiest thing. So I have a five phase for some people, a six phase, um, protocol that I take all guys through physiology detox system phase one is nutrition like that's the number one thing and i'll plug my facebook group again i've put the entire first phase into the facebook group every step that you need to actually start on the phase one um actually i had a guy like just jump on it funny enough i had a guy so inside my program not from the facebook group but again it's the exact same content so the start of the 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 um the phase is you do a four-day fast so I get them to do a four-day fast, and there's a lot of benefits to after day three. A lot of benefits, specifically, your, your human growth hormone triples from baseline at day three when you're fasting uh, for longer periods. And so four-day fast, and right after the fourth day, you jump into this 28-day, 100% integrity nutritional framework that I've given them. And it's designed to pull a lot of the you know energy drainers, seed oils, refined sugars, refined flours, preservatives, et cetera. And remove a lot of potential allergens that are typically irritating the gut. Okay. And then put in a lot of the organic whole foods that are energizing. Now, this guy, he literally just finished it today. He like had his first smoothie. I have this smoothie in there. And he's like, he's like, man, I don't know what you did, but this thing's got me feeling just freaking amazing. And then he actually, 
I'll, I'll pull up the exact words that this guy said. It was hilarious. He's almost, he's like, uh, where is it? He's like, I feel like I just took a shot of tequila on a 25 degree day in the summer. I'm in Turk and Caicos and, and could be loved by Bob Marley's plane <laughs> after drinking the, the smoothie. And so he's just, again, one of those things where it's like he was operating at 50% of 100. And all of a sudden, in a matter of days, he removes all of the toxins over the past four days doing the fast. That's part of the reason why I do that. Clears the system out and then inputs some of the best food that the humans could eat. And all of a sudden, he's feeling like on cloud nine. And uh, that's simply from like one meal eating the proper way. So I do that because nutrition is the quickest and easiest way to, to increase your energy. But at the same time, detox the body. In detoxing the body by default by not eating certain foods. So during the 28 days, it's more important. I tell the guys this. Listen, if you're going to break, because I want them to do 100% integrity. But And if anyone here goes to my Facebook group and does that, if you're going to break, it's more important about not breaking on the, the foods that are causing the inflammation, causing the, the reasons you're, you're, you're feeling drained in the first place, than it is to keep eating the, the healthy food, quote unquote. Healthy food's great, you know, organic, whole foods as nature intended, but eating the seed oils, the refined sugars, the fine flours, the preservatives, those are the things that are keeping your body inflamed, okay? Slow, lethargic, filled with brain fog, et cetera. Um, so I would say stop eating seed oils. I call them the fat three, or another word is like the inflamed three. Seed oils, refined sugar, refined flours. Like if you just stop eating those, that is the, the easiest way I can explain right now to start detoxing, quote unquote. And if you take that one step further and then tack on a whole whole food organic diet, okay, as close as nature intended, as I like to put, your energy level is just going to go nuts. Like I've had multiple guys go into the program, instantly lose weight. Why? Because there's a lot of inflammation fat on there is your visceral fat. As soon as you stop eating those foods, your fat's going to go down. Your energy levels are going to go up. Okay. Your focus is going to get clearer, just all of it. So stop eating the fat three, start eating as close as nature intended. Um, that's step one to detoxing. Again, there's a lot more you want to, if you want to talk other, other sides on it, there's, um, you want to actually heal the gut. Okay. You, you gotta, you gotta actually heal the gut from the damage done. And then specifically when we talk detoxing, one of the biggest things is you want to keep your liver in check. Your liver is the body's natural detoxification organ. So if your liver is like down and out because you've been constantly drinking, eating shitty foods, being bombarded by toxins, it can't detoxify the body on its own. And so it's kind of, you know, limited. You're limited. Um, so getting the liver back up, okay, you can detox the liver. You know, it's kind of like a meta detox. And then on top of that, heavy metals, huge one. If you can detox heavy metals, you're going to be well on your way. Easy way to start with that, I'll give you two things, is chlorella and, and, and cilantro. If you just start taking chlorella every day with some cilantro tincture, you'd be um, you'd be in a good place. But uh, it goes much deeper than that in terms of the protocol. And uh, But again, not to throw everyone you know off track on what I just said, nutrition is by far the, the quickest way to, quote unquote, get on the detox journey, for sure. Okay, I'll we've put the link about to the Facebook group in the, in the bottom of the the podcast so if anyone wants to check that out it'll be it'll be linked amazing yeah i joined it already <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah I, th I think i'm going to join it right after the call here and i have a feeling my sleep is going to improve a lot because 100 <laughs> sleep and nutrition that's what we got in there right now 
Awesome. Uh, we So we've talked a lot about um, kind of, you know, physical health. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of your mental state, what are some practices that you have for, you know, improving mindfulness and just overall feeling better mentally? Mm-hmm. Good question. I mean, there's a few paths you can go down here. But I think for entrepreneurs specifically, you know, it's stuff that everyone knows but doesn't do. Like meditation, journaling, breath work. Those are really the three things that I preach. If I had to add another one, gratitude. But those are like the four main things that like if you just do them, the problem is, you know, especially entrepreneurs, they just don't, you know, you just don't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like if you just do the thing, if you actually do it, you don't judge it and you like actively participate in those four items, like those four actions on a regular basis, then you're going to be in a good position. So with meditation, just start with an app, waking up or headspace. Those are two really good apps. When it comes to breathing, a um, few things, if you have a whoop band, go to the stress monitor and there's two types of breathing. There's the alert and then there's like the, um, I think it's like, you know, the the mindfulness or something like that. But there's another good book called Dr. Lagos, Dr. Leah Lagos, which is heart, mind, heart, mind, breath. And uh, she goes through this whole like 10 week program. It's pretty intense and it takes quite a bit of time. But what it boils down to is like, if you just breathe, from a deep diaphragmic standpoint, which is using your diaphragm to breathe into your belly and, and out of your belly, right? In through your nose, out through your mouth. Four seconds in, through your nose, into your belly. Six seconds out through your mouth passively, okay? Anytime you're feeling stressed, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling anxious, if you go four seconds in, six seconds out through the mouth. Four seconds in the nose, six seconds out. Three to five times at any point, you will instantly feel better. Instantly, the breath is so underrated from a mindfulness standpoint. So breathing, we got meditation, okay, find an app, start with an app. Joe Dispense is a really good resource as well for that. He goes, you know, really deep. Uh, breathing, quick way, four, six, four seconds in, six seconds out. Uh, journaling, like I said, I was talking about that earlier, shutdown complete. The amount of times, and I don't know if you guys have done this, like just when you just grab a journal and just start writing some stuff out, you know, stuff starts to melt away pretty quick, you know, and I, what I tell my guys when I, when you journal, just get to the place where everything will be all right. I don't care what's going on. What's, if you can tell you, if you can confirm to yourself, I'm not going to die from whatever's going on. I'm not going to go broke. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, get uh, a push kicked out on the street. My business isn't going to fail. Right. Or even if it is, can I start another business? Right. Like, and those are the major ones, right? Because what are those accomplishing? Our security, our sense of security, our, our physiological security. And again, uh, Maslow's hierarchy need, that's what we would care about, really, you know? And so if we can just get clear on that, it's like, okay, shit, yeah, yeah. That client's really pissed at me, but no, they're not going to kill me, okay? Am I still going to be able to run my business? Yeah. Am I still going to have money? Yeah. And you just like, you know, run through those, you're good, dude. Like, And then, you know, a really good thing with journaling and just like mindfulness is like, hey, man, the earth is billions of years old. Your problem doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, that's just a great way to put it. It's like, hey, you know, go go all the way out to the moon. Look back out on the earth, right? You know, that picture of like a galaxy and it was like a, an arrow is like you are here. That's a perfect, get perspective. Get geographical perspective, okay? Get time perspective, billions of years. 
and you're saying this one hour is going to ruin your life, like get over yourself, first of all. Right. And second of all, it's not. Uh, so I think it's all of those things kind of combined comes into journaling because you can use all of that as like journaling techniques and be like, no, I'm good. And then you can just start to like mentally journaling. No, I'm good. And start running algorithms. Um, so yeah, journaling, meditation, breathing. And uh, I'm blanking on the, on the fourth one now. But uh, but all of those are just really, really solid when it comes so to gratefulness, gratefulness. Yeah. So I call that celebrating. And yeah, thanks for reminding me, Max. So celebrating is the flip of kind of like that journaling thing where it's like if I'm trying to journal to get myself out of stress, you know, celebrating or practicing gratitude is one of the best ways to like put yourself into that state again, like that loving, joyous, abundant state. One of the best things um, that I get my guys to do is create their own flourishing self book. And in that, I get them to map out their life from like that first point that was significant to them all the way to where they are now. And so what's cool about that is at any point that you're feeling like, hey, especially as entrepreneurs, I'm not enough. I can't do this. You know, why am I doing this? You know, whatever those those thoughts that run through our head, especially as high performance, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Dude, you go open up that book or even that list, even if you don't do the book, you just write out all of your successes, all of the things that you've been able to do from the point that you're like 15, 16 as a, as a boy to where you are now, you'll realize you've done a lot of stuff in your life. doesn't matter if you aren't where you want to be. Dude, just celebrate where you've come from, man. Like I always remind myself like, dude, I, I had a lisp. I couldn't even speak, you know, and now I'm here having, you know, uh, for what I think, being able to convey thoughts at a, at a high level with confidence, right? I used to be extremely shy. I used to have the skinniest, most scrawny body, right? And now I could be thinking here like, oh, I have a little bit of extra belly fat one day and I'm getting hard on myself. I'm like, brother, look where you came from, dude. You know, but if you don't give yourself that perspective, it can be so easy to get so caught up in the most minute things day to day. It's like, bro, you used to fail at every single business. Now you're running a six-figure business. Might not be the seven-figure business you want, but you used to just suck ass at business, dog. You know? So having perspective and celebrating yourself, celebrating your wins is really, really powerful. Really powerful, especially if you're hard on yourself. So that's the last one. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I think that's that's one of the most powerful ones out of, out of all of them that uh, can just snap you out of something like that. Yeah. Most of the times it just, just ain't that deep. Not that to you, man. 100%. It's funny that you mentioned the the breathwork thing. I actually I use breathwork to control like high stress and anxiety like a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the red breathing technique, which is kind of a slightly different version of the one that you mentioned by uh, Dr. Longos, but uh, it's four in, hold for four, four out, don't breathe for four. Okay. And you can That's actually it, yeah. use that to control um, fight or flight response. So like mm. when you're like high level of, of fear, you can bring that down in about 30 seconds with that technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. No, I think it's called box breathing is another term for it. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's superb. I use it because I used to be scared of flying. And like when I'm on the plane, I can get myself like way down, super calm. Yeah. And like now oh, it's, awesome. it's, it's no problem anymore. But it was one of the techniques that I had to, to learn to get good at that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Great point. Again, there's so many really powerful, but easy breathing techniques for sure. Yeah. Breath work is super powerful. Underrated. <laughs> yeah. 100%. So underrated. That's why I said all these things, everything I just listed does not take anything complex to do. It's just you got to do them. 
And I think as entrepreneurs, we overlook those. We don't think they're as powerful as they are, but they're like one of the most powerful things, especially to like turn our brain off, settle ourselves down. Mm -hmm. And I'm super curious um, if you could speak more to the above men program that you've uh, created. Like, what does that like look like? Is that a course? Is it ongoing coaching? Um, what, what does that mean really? Yeah, definitely. So above men one is all around helping men master their energy. Okay. Specifically entrepreneurial men for the time being. Um, up until very recently, it'd been a one-to-one -one coaching program. So there's coaching content and community coaching. I would hop on a call once a week with the entrepreneur for an hour. We would go through what's going on, what we've been learning about the past from the past seven days, what they did, help them kind of like see things differently, talk them through just on like a coaching standpoint, right? The content, so I have a full program uh, in terms of videos, worksheets, action items that I get them to go through, okay? So right now, I think we're sitting at um, like 40 hours of content or or uh, something like that, like 30 or 40 hours of, of content inside the program. Um, it'll probably be around like 50 hours when it's all said and done. And uh, they go through that week to week. So week to week, I'll give them an action item. They'll go take care of that because of where I'm at on the program, it's now going into more of like a group setting. So I have like a Q&A call once a week and you can just hop on, ask me questions and then go and do what they need to do. It's as I built the program and the structures got built out, a lot of it has got pushed onto the the program content. Like a lot of the uh, the learning has been pushed on the program content. And now I'm just kind of there as a guide through all of the content. And then the last part, which long-term is, is going to be the most potent part, which is the community. So Call that, you know, the above men brotherhood, the tribe, whatever you want to call it. But it's it's going to be the most powerful component because it's such a selective program. Right now, it's just entrepreneurial men and the price point is a little bit heftier. So by default, a lot of guys get singled out or, or you know, self disqualify themselves. And I'm doing that on purpose right now to foster a really tight knit community because I think a lot of men, specifically entrepreneurial men, very lonely. Okay. You don't have a lot of conversation. You're not willing because of how, you know, alpha you are as an entrepreneur, you're not willing to open up on those other sides about your emotions, right? You know, how you're feeling, etc. And the community aspects, really that glue that allows you to hop on the call. We do round, we do round style, round table style calls on a bi-weekly basis where we jump on pretty much talk about anything and everything when it comes to your energy, your emotion, all of it. Uh, and get vulnerable, right? And so I'm really trying to foster that and build that up. Eventually, I will try to make it as exclusive as possible or inclusive as possible for all men. But it's got to, you know, start in, in a certain stage to get to where it needs to be. So that's kind of where it's at right now. The The program, like I said, covers everything to do with your energy. Goes in the four pillars, your psychology, your physiology, your clarity, and your environment. Okay, the first two are pretty clear, your mind and body. The other two is your goals. I don't care what your goals are. I just care that you have clarity on your goals and you maintain clarity at all times. That is one of the easiest ways to get distracted, to lose motivation, to start procrastinating when you don't have a clear vision of your goals. Too many of us, we're like, oh yeah, I write my New Year's goals. And then a month later, if I said, hey, what are your goals? I don't know. I wrote them down, but I don't know where I wrote them. You know what I mean? So you need clarity in your goals. And the last part's your environment. One of the most overlooked pieces there's three parts of your environment. There's the there's the surroundings, there's the information, and there's the people. You need to really make sure that all three are energizing you and not enervating you, okay? 
And so there's an equation that I built, which is the energy equation, that your physiology drives your psychology, which is led by your clarity. That's the top line. So you want to push all of those as high as possible. You want to have as much energy as possible. You want to be as, as good as possible to channel that energy with your psychology. And then you want to be as clear as possible on your, on your goals. And then your environment is on the bottom. So it's divided by your environment. Because depending on the environment you're in, depending on the information you're consuming, depending on the people around you, it will either energize or enervate you. It's like a friction, right? So if you are dialed in with your psychology, you are dialed in with your physiology, eating good, and you know exactly what your goals are, but you're in a noisy office all day with like a TV screen, three TV screens around your, your monitor while you're trying to work, just blasting the news. And, you know, people are constantly coming up to you and saying, what's going on? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter what, how good you are, you ain't doing good work, you know? And so the environment really matters. You want to get that as low as possible. You want to be as clean as possible in surroundings, only hanging around people that are going to push you and be aligned with your goals. And you want to be very, and this is the most important part in today's world, very selective on the information you are consuming day to day. There's so much nonsense out there that is distracting us from what our goal is. So first of all, what's your goal? If you don't know what that is at any moment, one tweet, you're like, oh shit, maybe I should try this. Oh shit, I'm going to go do this. But if you don't know your goals, if you don't know the principles in which you live your life by, any single piece of information in the external environment can potentially throw you down a rabbit hole that will get you chasing the wrong thing for a week, a month, years, the rest of your life. Okay? So... The top three, you want to get them as high as possible. The bottom, you want to get as low as possible. And that's how you master your energy in my books, at least, and in, in how I've been seeing it. And, and that's how, above men one. Yeah. <laughs> how how would you, um like, what kind of advice would you provide in terms of developing and maintaining clarity on your goals? Have them as front and center as possible at all times. So um, this is a video, but for, for the guys that are on this call, I have this book called The Flourishing Self Book. I have a full template inside the program. I get all the men to go through it or an equivalent of it. And it the very first page is my goals. So it's my one-year, three-year, 10-year goals, plus my North Star of like my main vision, like long, long term. I can pretty much recite those back, you know, front to back. And then the strategy in which I'm taking to achieve my next goal, which is my one year. So that's the first thing. And then on top of that, you want to actually go and use the book. You know, this book, whether it's in my office whether I'm in my bedroom, wherever it is, this book comes with me. So I'm always, I'm always with this book because I just need to maintain clarity. When I meditate, I have a specific meditation called the Becoming Meditation that I go through my entire book mentally. So I'll go through my virtues. So how do I live? And then what are my goals? So I'll run through my goals mentally every single morning. And then I have this book open just nonstop. And then I'm putting constantly things. I have a vision board in my room. Like the, the principle in which I'm explaining right now is just constant throughout the day. Reminders of what you're aiming for, who you are becoming and how you are getting there. And the more reminders you can have, there's probably, you know, good ways or, or worse ways in terms of how to do that. But the more reminders, the better. And, and on the flip side, going back to the energy equation, the less distractions, the less noise, the easier it is to stay focused on your goals. Right. So remove as much of the distractions, as much of the noise as possible and increase the amount of times you see and think about your goals. And how do you do that? Some of the things I just talked about, but that's the principle. So like if you don't basically for anyone listening is that if you can't 
in an arm's reach, grab or open up your goals and see what your goals are. You don't have the clarity in which you could, meaning you don't have the intent in which you have, you think you have to go after your goals. So that's my take on it when it comes to clarity. What was that uh, book that you, you held up again? It's called The Flourishing Self Book. It's uh, like I said, it, it's it's a book that I've created um, off the backs of uh, my mentor, Sam Ovens and his program called it used to be called the Alchemy of Self. You know, for my program, I've, I've called it the Flourishing Self book. And it's literally a goal book that you print out. It has a bunch of stuff in it. Literally, it has my entire life in one book. Get it printed out. Nice binded. It, you know, it feels like a legit book. Like if you pick this up, you're like, this is legit. You know, like this, you know, this feels nice. And all the pages are nice. It's glossy. Um, but in theory, all it is is just like a collection of your life that you want to step into, okay, uh, that you can constantly look at day in and day out. Read, visualize, whatever it is. That's the principle really that you want to look at. Do you have any practices that have helped you improve, I guess, emotional management? Yeah, I mean... Emotional management kind of falls in mindfulness, in my opinion. And so if I were to give answers on that again, it would be those same ones of like, go journal, meditate, meditate, I would say direct with that specifically when it comes to emotional management, management, meditation is probably the most important one there. Because meditation, and there's studies that back this improve your ability to separate stimulus and response and what is emotional management it's the ability to control how you respond to a situation so if you can separate that gap and get better at better and stepping between stimulus and response you're going to be better at, at managing your emotions pretty much right like that's the that's the like reactive side to it then there's like you know the more deeper rooted stuff that I don't quite have that part fully figured out. The reactive part very much falls in line with just like, you know, that initial thing that I talked about, mindfulness, et cetera. The more like, because there's emotional management, which that's like what you just talked about. Then there's like kind of, you know, deep inner work. I don't know how to label it, but like, you know, your shadow self, if you've ever heard that term or like trauma, you know, like I think that's also a side of like emotion. And like mental biases that are built up and that sort of thing. That's a side that I haven't fully got around to. And, and it's a you know very interesting topic. But um, the one practice that I, I have used, and I got this from The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which that would be a good book if anyone's looking to increase their ability to manage emotion, is, you know, when you guys have you'll like be going through your day or you're like, you'll finish the day and they'll just kind of be like something sitting on you or like inside you and you don't really know what it is. It could be like anxiousness. Let's just call it like anxiousness for, for the sake of this. Right. And we, and we feel anxious, but we're like literally sitting in front of our phone. We're not really doing anything. Or maybe we're like eating dinner. We're not really doing anything that would make us anxious, but we still have this sensation of anxiety. So when, when that occurs, and you're like, hmm, this is weird. First of all, you got to recognize, and this is where meditation gets really good because meditation not only allows us to separate it, but the other thing that meditation does, again, proven in, in studies now, it increases our ability to have self-awareness. 
self-awareness is really important with emotional management. Because if we can't be aware of our emotion and we can't detach us and our emotion, the I and, and what this is, our consciousness and emotion, then first of all, we don't even recognize that we're feeling this way. You know what I mean? So we get we got to get really good from being aware that that emotion's there. So once you recognize that, what I do is I'll kind of just like close my eyes and I'll kind of like look inwards almost, you know, and, you know, and I'll kind of watch what that feeling is. Once I've identified that it's like anxiety, I'll kind of just like stare at it. Because the first thing you need to do is understand you aren't the anxiety. The anxiety is you're just experiencing the anxiety, but you aren't it, right? Like you got to separate from it. And then once you observe it, what a really interesting thing happens. You just kind of like watch it. This like mental chain kind of, a, you know, will link you back to where the anxiety is stemming from. Really, really interesting. And again, this is just me doing what I, I've done. And I've helped a couple of guys like, you know, see through this. And, and Eckhart Tolle explains this in a very beautiful way in Power Now. And so when you stare at it, that chain will slowly appear. It may not be immediately, but you just start like, thinking about it and things will come into your mind like oh shit this happened oh this happened and then you realize like there's this huge open loop that you haven't solved for and it's causing this a big thing of anxiety in you and it's just like sitting there like a you know like i don't even know like just a huge rock in your stomach that is just like unaddressed but then it's like what are you going to do about it and then you can do something about it or you can just let it sit there and then you know it's a matter of like hey you know figure out a plan etc but actually addressing it's kind of the or, or becoming aware of it's probably the biggest thing and then doing something about it is like another so once you once you understand it's there then you got to go take action with it then come back to journaling journal it out okay what are the logical solutions what could i do can i even do anything you know I just need to think about it differently is there a bias that i'm running that isn't like you know helpful um but yeah that'd probably be the only only thing that i could really speak on outside of just meditating when it comes to emotional management um i don't know does that that was that helpful or yeah that that was helpful i just have a, a follow-up here mm -hmm. um you mentioned kind of you know you haven't quite yet figured out the i guess you call the tra uh, trauma or like the shadow uh, shadow yeah. emotions, shadow self it? yeah yeah shadow self um this is a <laughs> alex hermosi quote that i really like do you think that aspect is a problem to be solved or is it more of a dichotomy to be managed in the sense that you know do you think that's something that you're trying to basically get rid of in your life? Or do you think that's something that you're trying to, you know, kind of put a twist on to use to your advantage? Mm. Well, I think the one thing I will say about that side, we're like the good and bad, right? Like I think like the shadow self or, you know, trauma that has occurred in someone's life. I think a lot of that people just want completely out of their life. My take is you just want to balance it. So it's it's trauma because you can't see the good that's come from it because it's been so horrific, quote unquote. But going back to the first guy I referenced, Dr. John Martini, he's like fully bought into this idea that everything has a good and a bad to it. There's nothing that just like happens that is completely bad for you. You know, like, and, you know, I could probably rift a couple examples off, um, you know, in my life, and it's, it happened to be a lot of there's a lot of synchronicities, you know, I it happened. And I'm like, man, what the fuck? Like, this is this bad thing that happened to me. And then a week later, two weeks later, you're like, Oh, like, if you're paying attention, and you look back on that thing, you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Because this thing, which appeared to be this really bad thing. Now, three weeks later, a month later, a year later, all of a sudden, I got pushed out on this other path, that if this thing that appeared to be bad, didn't 
occur, I wouldn't be down this path, which is good thing is now occurring. So it's not so much about like, I believe, you know, dissolving it and just completely removing it from your life, but rather seeing the other side of it. So I think, you know, the former or sort of the latter to, uh, to your point, Max. Yeah. I love that. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Awesome. Yeah. I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about, um, like just addiction. I know that I'm, you know, I'm finding myself just over the last you know few years, really struggling with just overall dopamine addiction, mm-hmm. you know, in, in various types of forms, whether it's mm-hmm. just, you know, social media or, you know, just, just all aspects of, of dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you struggled with in the past? And like, if so, how did you, you know, what were some things you used to combat those addictions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not only something that I've definitely, um, had to deal with in the past. It's one of those ones to your point, like when you use the word addiction, the, the scariest point of an addict's journey is when they say they're okay. When they say, Oh, I'm fine now. Cause that's when they're like, Oh, now I can have one drink or now I can X. Mm. And so what I've realized is once you've been, and this is a good analogy. Um, I think it's by, Nye Earl uh, by Hooked, but I forget exactly where this analogy came from. This concept of being pickled, okay? You have a cucumber, you know, you put it in a jar, you put the whatever stuff in it to, you know, pickle it. You can't turn it back into a cucumber. The same goes with our brains and addictions, okay? Like once you've become pickled with social media, with porn, with alcohol, with whatever it is, you're cooked, you know, and you got to kind of accept that. And now all you need to do is manage that. And we're like, we're all pickled when it comes to social media. (laughs) Like anyone that's indulged in social media has been pickled when it comes to social media. And this is something that I've constantly dealt with on my own. I think everyone here has dealt with it. Is it so easy to jump on social media and just get lost in the sauce on it, right? So what it's really doing, how I deal with that, how I help individuals deal with it is first off when it comes to dopamine so we're going to step back away from addiction for a second and go to just like dopamine we first need to understand like how dopamine works and what's really going on there dopamine is not actually like the pleasure molecule it's the desire molecule and so it's just craving something because we've told it we've told our brain at some point like if we do this thing we're going to feel good which is you know serotonin etc but what we need to do is pretty much rewire what we tell ourselves is, is good. Right. And, you know, if you guys are quoting Amber, Andrew Huberman, he talks about that as it's like, don't do like things that are going to spike your dopamine before or after the activity, like get the dopamine from doing the hard activity, the activity that you want to do over and over again. And the same thing goes for this. It's like, you have to remove all of the sources of what I call cheap dopamine. That's a really good way to think about it. There's cheap and expensive dopamine. The cheap dopamine, open your phone, social media, go to McDonald's, you know, order. You don't have to do anything for it except for exchange some money and not that much money. Uh, Open porn, like, you know, do drugs, drink alcohol, smoke weed. Like these are all cheap forms of dopamine. You don't have to do anything for. And so it makes our body very dependent, okay, or crave these sources because it's like, why would I do this, which I need to, you know, put all this effort in you know, jeopardize my health, my whatever thinking, 
all of these things to just maybe get this outcome when I could just open up my phone and jump on social media. So the first thing is you got a baseline reset. And I call this the hardware reset in my program, right? In other places, it's called, you know, your dopamine detox. Like it's a very valuable step that anytime you feel yourself that getting up to those levels where like all areas, it's like, fuck man, like I can't do hard shit. It's very hard for me to do hard shit, like harder than it should be to do this, you know, hard shit. You got to just do a hard uh, hardware reset. Just remove all the stimulus, remove the social media, remove the porn, remove the drinking, remove the fast food, remove whatever your kryptonite is, okay? And just clear that out for 24 hours up to seven days. Ideally, in some cases, if you're addicted and you've admitted, hey, I'm pickled, ideally for life, right? But again, that's, you know, it's tough. Remove it, baseline reset and get focused in on the things that you want to do, right? So like, Zach, like what's one of the things that that you feel yourself right now, um, like being kind of quote unquote addicted to as a source of cheap dopamine? Uh, like Instagram or YouTube, like just, just general social media, just content. Okay. okay, cool. And then what's like one thing that right now that you're like having to struggle to do, but you you want to be doing it, but you find those things like getting in the way? Well, calling leads and, you know, scheduling estimates. Things gotcha. like that. Okay. So we'll go, you know, social media to then like calling leads. So one of the things that when you do, if you like remove yourself from say social media in the time that you remove yourself and any time that you feel yourself wanting to crave the social media, go and call a lead. Mm. So for that first 24 to like seven day window, Every moment, every time you feel yourself saying, oh, I just want to pick up my phone. First of all, you need self-awareness to come back to meditation because sometimes it's so, because you're so addicted and so by default, you just grab your phone and you're like mid scrolling. You're like, dude, how the fuck did I just end up here? Yeah, I'm exactly. On my phone. So again, you need the social self-awareness. That's why I think meditation is so, so important. But every time you feel that craving come up, instead of saying, I'm going to go to social media. I'm going to replace it because now you're re literally rewiring your brain with the dopamine. It's going to really hurt at first, especially if you're really, really addicted to it. Okay. But the first couple of times is going to suck and then it's going to get easier and easier and easier. And then the ball momentum comes and then it just like flows. Right. But replace social media every time it comes up, but I'm just going to call one lead and here we go. I'm going to get into habit design. So not only does, do you need to remove a lot of those high stimulus cheap source of dopamine but when you switch to the new things you need to have good habit design the problem is a lot of people don't design their habits properly and they don't stick okay we've all had a habit that we wanted to implement that we didn't it wasn't a character flaw okay it was a design flaw of your habit so this is from bj fogg over at tiny habits and he's also um the uh the lead at behavioral design labs at stanford or harvard and um he basically says there's the ABCs of habit design, okay? And there's B equals map, okay? Behavioral equals motivation, action, prompt. And there's this chart and there's this line that wherever you place the action, if it's above the prompt or below the prompt or above the motivation or below the motivation, you're either gonna do it when the prompt comes or you're not gonna do it because the motivation or the action's too hard or the motivation's too low. And so what you need to do is when you replace the social media, okay? The urge is going to come up and say, if the urge of social media comes up, then I'm going to call one lead. Not going to do a whole hour. I'm not going to do a four-hour block. I'm going to call a single lead. 
Now, what's that doing is it's creating a tiny habit. Mm. Like all of us here, if we thought about calling one lead, we're like, dude, that's that's silly. You know, that's laughable. Okay. BJ Fogg says you want to make it so small, it's laughable. That's like, if I didn't do this, I would feel like a complete idiot. Okay. So whatever that is, just start with a stupid, small habit. So if that's one lead, like if you called, if you thought about calling one lead, would that be anything crazy? No, 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 no. Yeah. And you just chuckled too there, right? So it's like just whatever that is that you're replacing to start with. And again, this is where a high performer is going to fuck up because he's like, fuck one lead. I'm going to do 10. And then the next thing that comes around, he's like, yeah, I don't know, 10, man. Like, I don't know, 10 quite a bit. And but now you lost your sight on just doing the one because we're not trying to mm-hmm. do the 10. We're just trying to do the habit. We're trying to rewire. And this is part of the hardware reset It's like we're just getting ourselves to do the hard shit when we would have otherwise done the easy shit. OK, so first off remove it second of all swap it with something stupid easy that is laughable and then over time work your way up because what happens is you do one lead what do you think you're going to do yeah probably call another and like ah you know i'm already here i got my crm out this lead was actually a pretty good one fuck i'm gonna call another one Mm -hmm. the next thing you know you called five maybe it wasn't 20 but guess what you didn't do sit on social media for an hour sit on social media for 20 minutes and just burn your brain so that's probably, you know, the path I would go down when it comes to that. Um, and then all that aside, so that's good stuff to start with. The other component is called willpower, right? Willpower is, you know, forget the exact quote. I actually pull it up here. Um, it, but willpower is basically, you know, the ability to delay gratification, okay? But what, you know, the godfather of, of willpower talks about, Roy Baumeister, is the here, what do we got? The ability to delay gratifications, resisting short-term temptations in order to meet long-term goals. Okay. So the capacity to override an unwanted thought, feeling, or impulse. And so we want to leverage so that the first part is kind of like leveraging impulse or willpower, but we want to go one step further. And we want to use willpower wisely by not going on defense. So anytime the urge comes up, right, we need to like defend from that urge, but go on offense and take actions now when we're like willing and have the energy. So when the decision could come up, we can't make the decision or it's very difficult. So this comes back to BJ Fogg and also Roy talked about this. So here's two scenarios. My phone is on my uh, desk right here, right? And my then the other scenario is like, my phone is in my closet turned off where I can't even see it. My The urge of social media comes up. How much more likely are you going to grab it if it's right beside you versus if it's in a closet down the hall turned off? Yeah. Much, much harder. So that's called pre-commitments or implementation intentions. You want to do things now that is going to make it much harder to make a decision later that would otherwise be, you know, a defensive move when it comes to your willpower, right? So BJ Fogg calls this um, not anchoring, but, uh, or I guess it's kind of like anchoring in the sense of making it, making the anchor easy to see or invisible to see, right? making it frictionful or frictionless to do the thing. It goes, and this goes for like both implementing a habit or deleting a habit. When we're talking addiction specifically, we want it to make it invisible. So we don't want to see the prompt. So if our phone's in the way, we're more likely to pick it up on those social media. If we don't see our phone all day, like I'll give you an example. I play offense every single morning with my phone. When I wake up, I use my whoop band. I don't touch my phone. No one should touch their phone to use an alarm clock. That is just the most idiotic thing you can do, okay? Then next, I hide my phone so I don't even see it when I wake up. I don't even see it. 
for the first three to four hours, depending on my day, unless I have something to do. And I just go on with my day. And I don't see it for three to four hours. Why? Because I know if I see it, I'm more likely to go on. If I'm more likely to go on, I'm more likely to you know, waste time. Um, so you want it invisible. You want it to add a lot of friction, hard to do. Okay. And you want it unsatisfying. When you do it, there needs to be some sort of consequence to it. So it's like, hey, man, you could add every time I go on social media, Zach, you could you could give your uh, your partner five dollars or you have to like, you know, do some like social thing that would like lower your status that you really don't want to do, mm. whatever it is. But make it unsatisfying. And then the last one is you want to make it unrewarding. So make the cause effect relationship really clear on your the impact that the thing that you're doing has on the, your goals. So if your goal is to do a million dollars in revenue, right? And you know, for every minute that you're not building your business, but rather wasting, that's, you know, a little bit less off of being able to hit the goal or whatever it is, but you need to get clear on the cause effect relationship that this thing is having on not being able to hit your goal. So, you know, uh, invisible, you know, uh, hard to do, unsatisfying and then unrewarding. So that's kind of like the, you know, how to design a habit, right? And then make it stupid, simple, et cetera. It kind of bounced over the place. So hopefully people understood that. But um, yeah, there's there's a few parts to that when it comes to addictions and uh, and dopamine, but a lot to go in there. And and yeah. <laughs> no, that was fantastic. And I, I totally agree with like the, you know, adding more of the friction points to the habits because um, I downloaded that. I know you talked on your Instagram about that freedom app. Oh, that's friction. Yeah, right there. Yeah. So I downloaded that app and I don't even like, I can't, like the one day I was so pissed off, I was trying to like delete my focus sessions. Yeah. But I couldn't even figure out how to delete them. So I couldn't get <laughs> on the app. So it was just like so much friction that I was like, fuck it. Now I don't even want to go on Instagram anymore. Cause like I've yeah. just spent five minutes trying to figure out how to do yeah. this. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. The friction points are definitely like definitely huge and they, they help quite a bit, but so much. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. And another one that just comes to mind, that's a super easy one back to nutrition is, you know, people have maybe heard this before, but built by your willpower at the, at the grocery store, like just simply don't bring food that you don't want to be eating into your house. Simple as that. Like literally, you know, anytime I do find myself, my demon coming out and like I snack at night, which again, everyone's, you know, everyone's got their uh, uh, imperfections. I'm not perfect. You guys aren't. No one will be. Right. And so when that occurs, I'm using my willpower. I literally cannot snack on anything that would really throw my energy off. Like the worst, the worst damage I could do is go eat some nut, some dates with some almond butter or some grass fed yogurt. It's like, sure, I'm snacking at night, but it's like, I'm not doing that big of damage, right? Because I've set myself up to win by putting pre-commitments in place, you know, using my willpower wisely, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely do not keep. And another key, um, if you are going to bring food into the house that you know is not good for you, my key is buy it just enough to consume in that period and dispose of all evidence out of the house. So if I order a pizza, let's say, I eat the pizza, I take the pizza box immediately, and I go put it in the trash can where I will not be able to see it the next day. Mm. Huge, huge one. Because I used to do this before when I started to get into this. And I would order, say, Domino's. My, my, my weakness was Domino's. I used to smash Domino's all the time. And the problem was I would leave the Domino's box right there in front of my, in my kitchen. And it, would, it was empty. The pizza was gone. But guess what? Oh, damn. You know what? Maybe I should order another Domino's. Oh, shit. You know, right? 
But it's like if the pizza box wasn't there, there's no trigger. If there's no trigger, I'm not thinking about it. So just some things to consider that are easy wins that anyone can put in place. And again, you're gonna you're gonna notice a difference. So yeah, it's funny. an important touch on that. <laughs> I actually was going to say that too, and then you mentioned <laughs> it because I literally had the same problem when I was drinking heavily and mm-hmm. like smoking weed. Um, so I just stopped keeping it in the house. Like I would just not have it, and then the act of having to go to the store and get it would prevent me from then doing it. Hundred percent, man. 100%. That's one of the things that I honestly, I do like a environment op, like an environment review with all the guys that come to the program. And anytime they'll take a picture of their kitchen and there's like a bunch of beer bottles on their kitchen table as if they're empty, they're going to take them to the beer store or whatever to return. I'm just like, dude, the co- the money that you're going to get from taking those to the beer store versus what you're doing to yourself by keeping them and just like to throw them out, get them <laughs> out of there. Same thing. They're like, bag of like mini eggs sitting on the counter it's like dog throw those out man like if you're not eating them if you're done eating them like like throw them out because it's it's crazy how much and again going back to our evolutionary you know beginnings our ancestors had to evolve by constantly scanning our environment for prey and predator and so our brain same thing when we walk in the kitchen when we walk into our office when we walk into our bedroom scan What's going on? Do I need this? Can I use this? Do I need this right now? Should I eat this? It's constantly occurring in the background. And then that comes into a thought. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe I should eat that. Or it's like, wait, I was I didn't actually come in here for this. Why am I thinking it? Because you're you're scanning the environment constantly. And so that's why I said environment is really important about your surroundings, the people, and the information. So if you can cle- keep your environment clean, the less things your brain has to scan. And the, the easier it is to stay focused on what's actually important and the less likely you're going to get distracted. So another, you know, uh, loop to, to circle back on. Yeah, actually, the phrase that I heard was uh, where are your gremlins hiding? Because everyone has little gremlins in their mind that are mm. just constantly triggering them to cause mischief and like do things that they shouldn't 100%. do. So it's just like you need to be aware of those. Just keep them out of the house. <laughs> 100%, dude. 100%. Yeah, yeah love that. Um, I wanted to ask you, because that kind of already touched on this because I was curious and he mentioned, you know, addictions. And I was curious if, you know, during your your journey, if you discovered what the effects of pleasure dependency are um, on the mindset of a man and like, what do you believe this is doing to us and our testosterone levels? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, good question. But uh, so I don't know if I couldn't. I could give maybe some some ideas as, as opposed to looping back to testosterone. My initial take is like, I don't know if it has anything to do specifically with how our testosterone levels are showing up from anything that I know of. But the question is around like pleasure dependencies and how it affects as a man. Yeah. That part is more interesting. And this is what I'm seeing with some of my guys inside the program that are at a very interesting point in their business. They become very successful financially. They have, this is what I call surviving well, okay? There's two mountains we wanna climb or we aim to climb in life. The first one's the surviving well mountain, right? Making the money, being you know safe and secure, having shelter, having access to food. Like we just wanna be able to survive well, okay? That's Maslow's higher creative needs. That's all our deficiency needs, okay? We just wanna feel good about ourselves. We don't wanna have any safety threats. We want to be able to know where we have the money, et cetera. That's surviving well. That's the first mountain. And once you climb that, something very dangerous happens. You get very comfortable. 
especially when you can like hang out in the mountain and nothing's like, you know, attacking you. There's no predator coming for you. Your business is safe. So you get really comfortable. And when you get comfortable, you get complacent. When you get complacent, okay, you literally, I think, become less of a man. Because a man constantly, to be to be the best the man can be, has to be on his edge. David Dieta talks about this a ton, okay? And if you look at the warrior archetype, again, if you're going to embody all four and be centered, you need to have the warrior online. And if you're not doing hard shit daily, the warrior's not going to be online. So the pleasure thing's interesting because... I was actually just talking to a couple of my buddies there, um, which are from Student Works, and they were, you know, in New York for a trip. And me and my, the one guy in my program was, you know, is talking about. I have this term, the hedonic boy and the above man, right? Kind of playing off of boy psychology, man psychology, etc. The boy when you tra- when you um, graduate or evolve into a man, the key to understand is the boy doesn't die. He doesn't go away. He's still there. But the shift is who's in control. So is the man in control or is the boy in control? And let's play those scenarios out, right? The boy's in control when he's with his mom, right? And he whines a little bit and then he gets his way. The man's in control, right? When he does the hard work that needs to get done. And then after work, he takes his son to the playground to go let him play for an hour. But he knows once son goes down, hey, bud, we got to go back home. I got to go to work tomorrow. Okay, so when that's the case and you know with certainty the man is in charge, pleasure's a fun thing to indulge in, right? That, you know, that's part of the spark of life. That's part of, you know, let's talk about sex. Like sex never gets old, right? And it doesn't matter where you are as a man, immature or, or not, like we all want sex. But what the relationship with sex for someone that's in their mature masculinity is a man Versus a boy, two completely different things. How it evolves and, and sits in relation to them, two different things. Why? Because he knows he's going to go penetrate his woman. He's going to have great sex and he's going to show up. Okay. But then he knows he's still got to go back to work. He knows he's got to go provide for her to be able to have sex again. So that part really needs to be in relation to how the boy and man show up. Because when you're playing, when you're experiencing pleasure, I think that's coming from a lot of from your boy psychology, right? Like I said, you go to the you go to the playground and you let your boy go and play on the playground for an hour, but you're going to go back home because you need to go to work. Same thing than anything when it comes to pleasure. But if that man isn't in control, then pleasure becomes a very, very dangerous thing. And for me, my my experience has been just that. I wouldn't I wasn't able to control myself when I touched pleasure, even two years ago, three years ago. Right. I'd still be able to do hard stuff here and there, but it was very inconsistent because the boy was in control. So anytime I touched pleasure, it was a very toxic relationship. Now I can indulge in some weed here and there. Right. I can eat, you know, some bad foods here and there, quote unquote, relative. Right. I can indulge in sex. I can indulge in whatever that is staying up late because I know I'm in control. The man's in control and I can go back to work because I know it needs to get done. So again, um, I don't know if that's the path you're, you're wanting to go down, but that's how I see it when it comes to pleasure now is really shifting it around like boy and man and who's in control because they both coexist. It's just a matter of who's the one leading the charge and then how does pleasure fit into that? Yeah, so it's not the pleasure that's the issue. It's 
your ability to differentiate between it and what you need to do. 100%. It's, actually, it's that and it's your ability to manage oneself in relation to pleasure. I read a quote this week that just, it absolutely hit the spot. It was amazing. It was uh, a man who lo- who lacks purpose, distracts himself with pleasure. Oh, bingo. That's it right there. 100%. And I, like, like, like that to me ties right into the boy and man psychology is like, I think one of the principles of a, uh, one of the characteristics of a boy is he, as he hasn't committed himself to some sort of purpose or goal. It doesn't have to be his quote unquote purpose in the sense of thing, the thing he's going to do for the rest of his life. But every, at every moment we have something in front of us that we must commit ourselves to, but a boy never fully commits himself to it. And I think that that goes in line with that quote. So I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. I, that bang, bang on. Yeah. So what, where do we, where do you see Cam in 20, 30 years? What's, what's kind of your end goal? What are you building towards? Yeah. I mean, above, so above men is, is the first kind of um, uh, part of the journey for me. And it's going to evolve into a bigger thing, which will just be under the umbrella of like above brands. And I have like an actual roadmap that I'll eventually roll out under the above, uh, the above branding. And so the long-term goal, which I inherited from a guy, one of my actually really good mentors, Brian Johnson, not the Brian Johnson with the Y, the biohacker, another Brian Johnson, actually, you know, many Brian Johnsons. There's Brian Johnson, the biohacker guy, my mentor, Brian Johnson, founder of Heroic, Brian Johnson, liver king, Brian Johnson, lead singer of ACDC. It's all funny. So anytime I say it, I need to clarify but anyways, founder of Heroic, phenomenal individual. I would check out Heroic, the app, if, if anyone hasn't already. And he put on my radar this vision that I absolutely loved. By 2051, he wants to have 51 of the, 51% of the world's population flourishing. Okay, so, so 51% of the world is flourishing by 2051. That's basically the goal. That's like a North Star. That's like an absolute moonshot, right? And he actually got it from another group of people. And he was like, man, I love that so much. And then I got it. I'm like, I love that so much. That's my North Star. That's kind of like the long-term thing. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? Because when you think about that, that's like way too broad stroke. And so it's just like overwhelming. Like, oh man, like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Brian's doing it a different way than how he got it from whoever he got it from. And so I'm like, okay, how, how would I contribute to that? Because that's a goal that all of, you know, humanity has got to be a part of. So that starts with above men, right? And so first year, I want to get to one-on-one above men uh, inside the program. And then, you know, 11,111 and 10,000 and at the 10,000 mark. Um, I'm hoping that can kind of hit some virality. You know, that's 10 years down the line, having 10,000 guys inside the program impact five other men using the philosophy that I've in the blueprint that I've put together. Uh, and then from there, start to have some physical locations, which will be what the original name of the, the, the program was, which was above club. So having physical locations where, most men and women, it's kind of like a gym on steroids, you know, gym, co-working space, meditation studio, shared kitchen where you can go and cook and have access to organic grass fed, wild caught, you know, fish and, and beef. And it's just a huge shared kitchen where you can go. So gym, co-working space, like this huge space, right? You know, so the closest thing is like Altea Active in Toronto or um, Equinox is good examples that that would really be a, like a a hub to do everything you needed to, to master yourself. Right. Um, so just really taking the blueprint of what I'm building right now and making it more and more accessible 
both on a physical and like a, a mental level. Right now it's all mental. It's it's information. Like I'm just giving everybody a, a blueprint. But I want to bring it into a physical realm too, where you can actually like leverage the above brand for services that allow you to, you know, build your physique, eat better foods, have access to better foods, et cetera. And ultimately, you know, long-term goal, 2051, 51% of the world flourishing by 20, 2051. So um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, but I guess that's the, the quickest way to to sum all that up uh, in, a, in a two minutes, little spiel there. I like that. Those are good goals. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting that you um you said, you know, how do I contribute to this? Because you're not trying to solve the whole problem. You're trying to have an influence on the direction that it heads. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck in the, like, I can't do this. This is too big of a problem. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can't solve it instead of looking at, okay, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And until you had said that, it was something that, honestly, I hadn't thought about. So, so I'm going to uh, point to something there. When, when that's the case, it's your boy psychology hanging out. Because a man is saying, I'm willing to surrender myself and my name and my ego to something bigger than myself. And in doing so, I'm willing to get led by something else, by someone else. But the boy is like, I need to do it myself. If I can't do it all myself, like it's not worth doing. And so by stepping above, transcending, self-actualizing, then transcending, right? And that's the warrior energy. The warrior the warrior is willing to be led by someone else, right? He goes into battle for the general that's leading the ship or whatever. Um, and so making that shift. And for me, I was on the same page. And then I realized like, like if you're going to do serious things and it's like, you, you can't do it all by yourself, right? You, we all know we need a team, but it's like the other part, a great leader doesn't need to be at the, the front of the pack. He might lead by example, but he doesn't need to be the one to get all the fame, recognition, et cetera. And part of that comes into, you know, releasing the idea of it not being your own idea or your goal or whatever and, and buying into someone else's um, is an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like with uh, Wolves, the alpha isn't at the front of the pack. The alpha is the mm -hmm. last in the pack. Yeah. At the back of the line. Making That's a sure perfect that example. Everybody is safe. Great example. Yeah. Yeah. This conversation is really making me think, uh, you know, which which psychology is like in control for myself. Like, if, <laughs> you know, if my if my boy or my man psychology is really at the forefront, and mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely there's definitely some reflection there to to be done because yeah, just thinking a lot of like the you know the daily actions and you know a lot of things we've talked about tonight. Like, it's it's fascinating to think, like you said earlier, like everyone knows what needs to be done. Just, mm -hmm. you know, how many people actually do it. And mm -hmm. that, that's what separates it. And I think there's just a lot of things that, you know, I, I'm not doing right now, which is the more we're talking about this becoming very clear to me that it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely standing in my own way of all these things that I, I, I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. 100%. I constantly, I constantly talk about, you know, with myself, how, how tired I am and you know, my energy levels are, are low, but it's totally self-inflicted, right? Like it's exactly. Yeah. It's, and it's, that's it's exactly, you, you bring up really good points, Zach, and I'll, I'll quickly explain why I started with what I started after I got the vision for above men. 
Because if, if it was really to truly like go and help men become men again, well, shouldn't I just go and show them how to go from boy psychology to man psychology, right? Like, why don't we just jump into that? Well, it's like, if you don't have the energy to go and show up for that in the first place, you're not, you're not going to do it. And so I, the reason you, like, I literally needed to start with above man one, which the whole focus is to master your energy is because of what you just said. It's mm-hmm. so much more difficult to do the hard things when you're already at 30, 40, 50% of your battery the moment you wake up, right? And then you, on top of that, you have an environment that is being, you know, is bombarding you with all of these highly stimulating inputs, easy access to cheap dopamine. Then you get distracted on your goals. So then your clarity is lowered, right? Then you have brain fog and you have inflammation in the body because you're eating shitty food and like, they just stack up, boom, boom. And then you're wondering, like, why can't I do what I know I need to do? Well, it's like, dude, you don't have, you literally do not have the energy to do it. Or you're draining your energy way too quickly, right? So I literally had to build above man one to move into above man two because of that right there. We're Men and women in North America, in the world right now, has been bombarded by toxins and living a lifestyle that is so non-congruent to how the body is supposed to function from our ancestors, 300,000 years of evolution. It is so far from mimicking the variables that built the body today and allowed the body to function, right? And so I can guarantee you, if you study what our ancestors did and then closely mimic paired with modern technology, okay, in the science we have today, you will have the energy and the willpower to do anything and everything you want. Simple as that, right? And again, I'm seeing it like firsthand with myself as I as I put this program together and all the men that are coming through my program. And as I watch these greats as well, that I'm like looking through the lens of energy first, you know, man psychology, et cetera. It's like if you check those boxes, right, you're going to do it. But it's just a matter of you got to get your energy right. Energy first mindset. Eat, move, sleep, breathe. We can just get that first. Eat, move, sleep, breathe. Those four physiological fundamentals you'll be at a really good place. That's why I said, Daniel, you asked the question, like, how do you detox? To start eating the right food and stop eating the wrong food. That goes a long way. Remove social media, long way, et cetera. But energy's got to be right. Any, like, is it, I have an equation inside the program. So not the energy equation, but I just call it like the above man equation, whatever you want to call it. It's like, there's two main areas in our life. Our work and our love, right? Sigmund Freud came up with that concept. Like we have our how we express ourselves creatively, our work, and how we show up, you know, with our, our spirit or, or our emotion, which is our love, right? Both of them, one can live without the other, but neither of them can live without your energy. Doesn't matter what's going on. It's it's energy times work or love times energy. Doesn't matter. Energy is always a part of the equation. This is a matter of how you're going to show up. So. Man, this is so fascinating. And part of, you know, why you're thinking that way and maybe why your mind's like spinning a little bit or like reevaluating some things is one of the very first things that you need to do to make this shift forever, that it sticks forever, is make the fundamental shift on how you see your energy in relation to the rest of your life. Because what you're what's going on right now is you're just you're reevaluating how your energy shows up in your life, right? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Right. And so once you get clear, and this is literally the first, the first week of program that I, that I, or the first week of content that I take everyone through, I call it the forgotten link, but the end goal 
is to live and embody an energy first identity in the sense of everything is predicated on my energy being up. And so everything I do comes after my energy being up, right? Like if I don't have my energy, then nothing else really matters. And this is where the constraints breeds creativity thing. You know, I gotta, I'm non-negotiables. I'm doing my sleeping. I'm doing my movement. I'm doing my eating, whatever. Because I understand the relationship it has within every other area of my life. So when you see that cause effect relationship, like you're evaluating, you're starting to see, it's like, why wouldn't I? Like, I'm, I'm almost like, I'm to your point, self-sabotaging myself by not. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's great to work 12 hour days, but it's like, what if six of those hours were pointless because my energy was at 50%? What if I could have done everything I just did in six hours if my energy was higher? If I just spent three hours on my energy, slept an hour longer, took an hour longer to eat food, move the body. Now, all of a sudden, I have nine hours of, of good work and three hours just spent to my energy. My energy's at 100%. Now I have nine hours, et cetera, et cetera, right? But again, energy first identity. You got to make that shift. And that, that's what's going through your mind right now. You're reevaluating how energy fits into your life and how important it actually, the role it plays, a cause-effect relationship. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it comes down to, you know, making that decision to, you know, prioritize that because you know, up to this point, it's, I've been just deciding not to, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to have that as a top priority, mm-hmm. which in turn is. And why have that. you been deciding? Why do you think you've been making that decision? Because it's hard to do. I think there's another reason. What's the reason? You don't see the cause effect relationship. Mm. You don't see, you don't have clarity on where your energy shows up in your life. You think it's not as big of a deal as it is. You're Yeah, you're 100% right. But now you're the reason you're seeing like, oh shit, I need to do all this stuff because you're recognizing how important it is. Now you're like, mm-hmm. dude, this stuff is like make or break right now. Now all of a sudden that cause effect relationship just became clear. Okay, pillar three, like clarity is just like oof, so much clarity now on this cause effect relationship with this energy thing. It's like, man, if I slept more, if I ate these good foods, like, holy shit, I could do more of my work. Okay, cause-effect relationship. Now you're seeing how this is relating back to it. Now it becomes easy to take action because all of a sudden, your priorities have just shifted. You see, you see how that, that, that shift occurs? Yeah, absolutely. Now that, yeah, now that you physically can see it in front of you, what you can potentially gain from it, yeah. And that's a reason why I think, and all you guys are in the um, the weekly ballers. That's why Whoop has you know gotten to where it's gotten. You put this on, you literally have to stare at the cause effect relationship of your actions on your energy. Like, oh shit, I slept shitty again tonight. Damn, that sucks. I'm either going to choose to not do something about it or choose to do something about it. But mm. if, you know what I mean. Like once you use the data, it very quickly gets clear on the cause effect relationship on eating late not sleeping enough, being stressed, eating shitty food, like whatever it is, right? This is the biggest contributing factor to alcohol and me not drinking it <laughs> as much as I used there to you go. because like I would see the like the relationship like to my recovery and it was literally a 20% decline in recovery if I consumed yep. alcohol. It just fucked my entire next day up. Yeah. It's like one Minimum. fifth, one fifth gone. And I was Minimum. just like, yeah. I can't sacrifice that. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, exactly. And what happened there? You saw the cause effect relationship, right? Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Dude, this this has been fucking awesome. <laughs> so many nods. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, man. You're just so knowledgeable on this. It was like very much appreciated. Yeah, awesome. Well, even if just the four of you guys, you know, and this didn't even get released, uh, it's it's worth my time because again, that's that's the mission here is is help men again be men again. So yeah, yeah, and we have a we have a as of now a reoccurring question that we like <laughs> okay. to ask guests. Um, basically, what are your core values, or in other words, when you die, what do you want written on your tombstone? Hmm. Good question. Um. Well, values to me are the things that that I enjoy the most or get the most fulfillment out of. The word I would maybe use is virtues. Like, what are the things that I embody that I that I like, you know, decide my life on? And uh, I actually have like a, a virtue compass. So if if we wanted to say like, what are, you know, what are Cam's virtues? Like, who is the kind of man he was? It'd be he was wise. He knew the game he was playing. He was disciplined. He knew what he needed to do and he actually did it. He was loving. He was, you know, connected, present and, and uh, encouraging. He was courageous. He was willing to do what others weren't or willing to act in the face of fear. He was hopeful. You know, he always had a vision for the future. And he was willing to go after it. And then he was curious. He was always he was always questioning, you know, what could he do better? What could he do better? What could he do better? Right. And paying attention to what wasn't working, what was working. And uh, he was also zesty. That's probably my favorite one, being a health and energy coach. You know, zest is, is that enthusiasm for life. Right. And I think that's a that's a core part of who I am. And, and it kind of like came to light. And so, you know, if I didn't get zesty on there, man, like I, that, that'd be that'd be a painful one uh, looking down from heaven. And so it's zesty for sure. Like that, that vigor, you know, that, that thing when you, when I walk into a room, I don't have to say something, but it's just felt right. Like that, that, that unspoken energy. Um, and then grateful, right? Like he's always appreciating life. Like he's never taking life for granted. And the last thing would probably be like anti-fragile. I got this, you know, from, from my mentors, like doesn't matter how much shit Cam's gone through. He always got better from it. So yeah, those are, I'd probably uh, just rip those on a on a nice tombstone and, and call it a day. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes an above man. Let's Thanks so much, on Cam. Where where can people find you? Um, yeah, so I would say right now that I've been plugging. If you are a man, you gotta uh, put the woman aside for a second. Um, women can be found in my DMs. You can, you know, hop in my DMs. Okay? <laughs> uh, but no, if you're a man, jump into Facebook above men, peak performance for entrepreneurial men, free group, full sleep mastery course. Literally the exact program that I have inside the paid program. Everything I know on sleep right now is inside there. And then you can also do the, um, the phase one of my detox system, which I've chalked up to be the energy reboot protocol. The idea is, is you, that you can double your energy in 30 days with it. So that's all for free. Um, again, if you are a woman and you want it, I will give it to you. But uh, the group itself is, is for men only. And then at Cam Russell on Instagram, you can check me out there. I'm, I'm, I'm most busy on there. So those are those are probably the two spots. Awesome. Now we we have a thing where, you know, we always like to throw some quotes that came up throughout the week out on the podcast, just in case anybody gets anything from it. Um, sure. Do you have a quote off the top of your head right now? Or do you want a second to think about one? um second to think but I, i'm sure i can get one. Oh, actually no here it is 
it is no measure of there is no measure of good health to be well adjusted to profoundly sick society. That's by Krishna Murda, I think. I pronounced his name wrong, but the quote is very prevalent to how we are today. It is no measure of good health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And that is basically the antithesis of uh of above men is being well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So I like that. That's a solid quote. That was great. All right. Who wants to follow that one up? Yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was, um, that was really good. Does anyone, before we like wrap up, does anyone have any other questions for Cam? I just want to make sure that the floor is open. Uh, I just, I've been mind fucked already. So I, <laughs> I don't think I can crack anything else open tonight. <laughs> I have a couple weeks of digestion to do here. So yeah. <laughs> Let's go Jets. I love it. Perfect. Uh, I do have a quote that I think will be good. Um, it's probably not as awesome as Cam's is, but character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. Mm, that's a good one. That's man psychology right there. Yeah, that's why I said it. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> Zach. Um let's see here. Sorry, I'm just trying to trying to find a I was trying to think of a quote that will go you go ahead, Max. I need a couple more seconds here. Okay. I have a couple this week was pretty big for quotes. Um don't do your best, do what is required. Uh, this one was from John. I really liked it. Uh, it's easy to deceive others into thinking you're doing well in life, but it's much harder to deceive yourself. That's solid. Um, perfectionism is procrastination masquerading as quality control. Hmm. And I'll finish finish off with this one because this is perfect for this episode. You can be strong in your mind if you are weak in your body. Damn, let's go. Yeah, depending, I might be able to pull up an absolute savage one from uh, some Stoics here. Give me a sec. I'll fill the dead air. If you run from the work, you may as well hide from the money. Damn. I like that. Get that money. (laughs) Yeah. Here's mine. Um, I guess this this kind of, you know, connects to some of the things we mentioned today. Um, don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place as you are today. That's a good one. Especially for men leaning into discomfort. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got the I got the Socrates quote. This one just hits. This is a quote I put at the end of the very first video of my program. Um just just banger of a quote. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. A desire only to know the truth and to live as well as I can. And to the utmost of my power, I exhort all other men to do the same. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, Ready? Uh, mine is Let me fall. If I must fall, the one I am becoming will catch me. Let's go. Oh, shit. That's a heater. Damn, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, it's mm. solid. Do you ever just have a conversation that just, like, 
you feel like you got better because you had it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Every Sunday right at now. 7 p.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the, yeah, boys. <laughs> every Sunday. But I mean, this one just fucking, it was great. Damn, gents. I appreciate yeah, thank that. Thank you, Cam. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah no, it's been good. Really solid questions, gents. Glad uh glad we could could do this and and uh honored to have you on here. So appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah, just uh just to follow up with that, you know, as much as we all feel like we got better, we didn't do shit until we go out and apply everything there that Cam go. just said. Yeah. So listeners, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Prime Five Podcast. Hope you took something away. And on that note, go apply it. We'll see you next Monday. Hey everyone, you've been listening to the Prime 5 Podcast with your hosts, Max, Skyler, Brady, Zach, and Dan. If you're enjoying the show, remember to smash that like button and share with your friends. If you want to follow us or get more info, head over to our Instagram page at Prime5Pod, check us out, and shoot us a DM. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.